0: six years ago I was just a schlub living in an apartment watching any old movie on the television set. I watched anything. I was a loser. And then one day I discovered a list on the internet movie database. And not just a list of any movies, a list of excellent movies. And not just one movie, no, no, no. 250 movies. So I pulled myself together and I started a podcast with my good friend, Andrew. How are you, Andrew?
1: I'm doing very good. How are you doing today with Darren? Or should I say, that guy from the movie.
0: <laughs> I'm fantastic, Andrew, because we got a winner. We already have a winner. Andrew, I said we have a winner.
1: <laughs> I haven't been handed a script. I, I'm, I'm guessing I have to improvise based on my deep knowledge of this movie. right? He's <laughs> a podcaster.
0: He's a part-time journalist. He's a man about town. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Richard Drum, How are you, Richard?
2: hello. hello. I'm very warm, Darren. Very, very warm.
1: Ju- juice for Richard? Is that what we say?
2: <laughs> oh, you should have done that.
1: <laughs> join us in creating
2: <laughs> excellent
0: Mr. Richard Drum. How are you, Richard? Surviving. <laughs> <Juice> <laughs> Already Richard. very tired mm. um, is the answer to that. Um, But yes. Well, if
2: you shotgun seven films very quickly together for the sake of one film review, yes, you do get a bit
0: tired. Yeah, like these seven films in particular. Yeah. Um, like, I feel like I mainlined uh, all seven of Darren Aronofsky's theatrical films in the space of five days. So I'm feeling fantastic.
1: Probably a better way to uh, cope. With his movies than to watch this particular one
0: <laughs> seven times in five days no True. just to
1: watch it once and, and then like with no chaser yeah <laughs> yeah yeah
0: because yeah, i feel like the wrestler black swan uh the fountain mother noah they're all uppers they're all all uppers
1: Yeah, (laughs) like after this, Um, uh, I guess, yeah.
0: Yeah, sorry, that's why I'm gritting my teeth together. Andrew's just looking at me saying, he can hear me grit my teeth across here. But yes, so we are talking about Darren Aronofsky's Requiem for a Dream, the 2000 movie that basically arrived and shook the American independent cinema landscape. The reason why we're talking about this is because I reached out to Richard and I said, hey Richard, here's the 100 movies left on the list that we have yet to cover. Wasn't that many? I thought it was less than 100, that's... You've been at this for so long. It was, yeah. I, you you would think that there would be some progress. You we would imagine. Episodes, we have
1: done over two hundred and fifty episodes. We we have. This
0: is, I think, episode number three hundred and two. A true Sisyphean feat.
1: Oh, we already did episode three <laughs> hundred.
0: No, no. Oh, we...
1: sorry. No, we haven't. <laughs> we'll be doing it out of sequence. We right? will be
0: doing it out of sequence. So <laughs> that's the way we we operate like now, apparently. Go...
1: This isn't even
0: a Christopher Nolan episode. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yes, so I reached out to you. I said, here's the 100 odd movies that we haven't covered yet. And you got back to me. And you got back to me with a couple of suggestions. But one that kind of jumped out at me uh, was Requiem for a Dream. I guess guess I've got one question for you, Richard, which is, why you got to make me feel so bad, Richard? Why you got (laughs) to make me feel so bad? I revel in your misery and my misery. Uh,
2: <laughs> there's a terrible, like, some way of making the the ass to ass reference in there, but I don't know how to work it in. I'm not I, sure I want I, to.
0: I, I left that one to Andrew. I figured, that, like, <laughs> like and, uh, If I figure Andrew knew one thing about this movie, I figure that's that's what we can rely it's on. It's the
1: only quote anyone knows. oh well, I knew about the movie. <laughs> there's there's a there's a sketch of um, them doing the the in memoriam <laughs> for like. um and they, they have all the, the like actors and writers who've died. And then they're showing clips from their movies. <laughs> and then they have that guy. And they just sit and see him like, yeah. <laughs> and then they add the, like, the sound to it and everything. yeah.
0: Uh, so, Uncle Hank, who is a Uncle recurring Hank. fixture of Darren Aronofsky's movies. Uh, he appears, I believe, on the subway in Pi. And he also appears on the subway in Black Swan. They are apparently all the same character, which is an interesting bit of continuity there, as mm. is the character of King Neptune, Played, i believe I was by gonna
1: ask this is the second week in a row we've had king neptune
0: i know yeah this one's not played by billy zane this one is played by the father of the director uh mr abraham i believe aronofsky although he's credited as abraham abraham in the closing is
1: credits. his mother in it as well because yeah. i think one of those old ladies is aronofsky yep
0: yeah, she is indeed so like again he's who's the king neptune guy who's that uh, he is the guy he's the other guy in the subway He's the one when she uh sorry he's the guy in the subway in this movie. So when she does the I'm going to be on television. Oh, yes, 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 yes. Okay. Um no spoilers, uh, but yes, yes, not out of context. But yeah, so so you've been evading the question. What was it about Requiem for a Dream? When you saw that list of movies, what was it that you were like, okay, that's something that I feel merits conversation that I want to talk about that I'm I'm eager to talk about on this podcast
2: well when I saw the list it was it was hard to pick a thing I kind of said to you that it's surprising no one's done much Hitchcock and you said everyone's afraid of it and I kind of understand why and I think with Aronofsky I've I've seen all of his films I went through that typical uh film student era of being in college and being obsessed with his movies and watching them all and looking forward to I think Black Swan was due it around then um so I feel like I had enough of a knowledge of his filmography that I could probably, you know, natter on for an hour and plus on a podcast about it. Whereas Hitchcock, I think this is too much, as a comparison, this is too much backstory, not backstory, um, that's for fictional people, (laughs) Um, too much biography and just politics and stuff. But Aronofsky, I think it's a fairly contained body of work in a lot of ways. Like that was also why I kind of wanted to do Requiem for a Dream, because in my head, it seemed like the outlier in his filmography and that it doesn't have... And we'll get into it, I'm sure, but like the rest of the films have a very heavy, at least if if not God, at least kind of structuring element on their worlds, or is this something felt like the one sort of nihilistic one? I am kind of curious to see how it held up in comparison. I have I see I saw this in college a couple of times, so that's about ten plus years ago. Uh so I hadn't seen it in a while. I was curious is it still as devastating and grim and bleak and awful as I remember?
0: Yes.
1: Well,
2: <laughs> the answer Mostly. Is yes. The world is also cut up in a bit.
0: <laughs> mostly. I like that. I like the qualification. We'll come back to that. But you mentioned kind of doing your, your film student Aronofsky mm-hmm. stuff. I guess this is the only time we're going to talk about Darren Aronofsky on this podcast, unless the whale gets in, which is unlikely, I suspect. Brandon Frazier's yeah, in it. Renaissance.
2: The online kids do love him. They could, like, bump up the IMDb scores.
1: Yeah. I'm I'm going to ask you a question Darren and don't answer the question with the names of the movies. No, I knew I knew you. Were not, yeah, there we go. How here. many Arano- uh, uh, Darren Aronofsky movies have been on the list? This is it. Andrew's favorite section
0: of the of the podcast. <laughs> it's the bit where we have a little bit of a friendly competition between hosts and guests. Yes. Aronofsky has made 7 theatrical movies. 3 of those movies have been on the 250. One of them is obviously Requiem for a Dream, which is still at number 84. Ooh. It's in the top so 100.
1: The, the, the I I think the challenge here is um for it's each to name the the yeah the, that's it. Um, so you
0: each get. So I'm gonna ask like so Richard, you're gonna go this, first, but can you give be me
1: easy? I think
0: one of the so. <laughs> one of the two. So you got to figure it like you, again. You got to play psychological. You got to think like the list. You got to think like the IMDb. Am I guessing two or just one? You're going for one, and Andrew's going okay. for one. Are we, are and we, then if we and,
1: both guess too? Uh, okay, Andrew's
0: like, what makes this more competitive? <laughs> so Andrew has begun writing think down. we we'll
1: get them, I think. Okay, yeah. so
0: so Richard, you're welcome to write them down, or we'll shake you at your word. <laughs> now, this is going to blow people's mind. And you have to <laughs> write
1: down how much you're betting, as well. <laughs> oh, uh, what, what? that's a
0: one. <laughs> So there, there are three things that got Aronofsky on the list, and let me tell you, this first one really blows people's minds. All right? So, Richard. Okay. Okay, so uh, hold on. A- wait, Andrew's, Andrew's writing down. So, Andrew, okay. have you got your answer? Final yeah, answer.
1: Yeah, I have a final answer. Okay, yeah. so,
0: Richard, you go, what what two do you think? I'm going to guess Wrestler and Black Swan. Okay, and Andrew, what have you got? I've
1: I've written down Black Swan and the Wrestler. Oh, no, you can't see that. No, not at all.
0: <laughs> But you are both correct. It I'm was betting indeed. my
1: dignity. Oh, good. <laughs> yeah. I it, get my dignity back. <laughs> But
0: yes, those are the two, Ar- two other Aronofsky movies that have been on the list that have since kind of dropped off. But yes, so those
2: are obviously... Off- Do as- you have like data for how long they lasted or what numbers they were?
0: They Oddly enough, they ran in parallel with one another. So they, they both had very similar arcs where they came in high and then, and then crested low. And I think they lasted each about a year on the list, okay. which is kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. And again, very much you could make the point that they are the same movie just one for high art and one for low art. I think the point is that Aronofsky originally conceived of them as the same movie Mm. and then just kind of split them out and did them both separately.
1: People obsessed with things.
0: Uh, Almost an Aronofsky recurring motif, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. like, you know, solving the universe uh, mm-hmm, with a mm-hmm. giant computer or like being a wrestler or being a ballet dancer or listening to that strange Throwing voice that tells you it's going to wipe out all of mankind. Killing or Killing all
1: the monkeys.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, OK, so you mentioned this. Let's, let's talk a little bit just about Aronofsky because it's the only chance we're going to get to do it. But Richard, like, what is your relationship with Aronofsky and has it changed over the years?
2: I, and I, I feel... Uh, terrified invoking this I'd compare it to my relationship to Nolan in that I kind of I found him at the exact right point as like a between 18-20 and year old like properly obsessed with him over him and then as the years went on kind of wane a bit and then more recently kind of come back around to it a bit at least with Nolan with Aronofsky um, the first film his I saw was Requiem for a Dream which is one of those in a process that kids these days don't have anymore stumbling across it at like 10 o'clock at night on E4 or something and just coming <laughs> in maybe 10 minutes late not knowing what it was and then watching it and then being like oh that's I'll never do drugs. I don't think after watching
1: that. Um, and I never and, did.
2: <laughs> redacted. Um, but uh, <laughs> nothing injectable. That's why you need. To, that's why you need
0: to do a top up every so often. That's why you need to watch it every five years. Just to exactly. To exactly. It
2: um, I'm trying to think what I saw next. I probably. I think I saw the Fountain next because uh, of well, all that things. Was next, yeah. Well, no, but that's not why I saw. I saw it because the trailer for I think it was Frost Nixon used the score from it. And it was really good. I was like, what is that music? And then found out what the film was, what the plot synopsis was, and then watched it. And just, I think that was also the point where I was just beginning to become a bit of a, a film snob type. Uh, and pre college, like, oh, this is so deep and multi layered and ambiguous. In hindsight, it's a bit messy. but It's, it's Cloud Atlas for emos. Yeah. How, how yes. would you
1: feel about that plot synopsis? <laughs> Did you feel it was accurate? Were, um, were, you, were, you, were, you, were you like, uh, wow, this is a movie?
2: Kind of, yeah. Because I was just like, oh, is it a time travel thing? Is it a someone's like death dream kind of thing i just like yeah the wikipedia memory synopsis back in whatever that was 2007 2008 was pretty spartan just like it's a conquistador and it's a a man that you know cuts up monkeys as you said and it's an astronaut it's like okay and they're all Hugh jackman how can that be a bad film
0: (laughs) it's it's a movie that does seem designed to confound in Mm -hmm. some way wikipedia editors um
2: And then I think by the time I was in college, Black Swan was due out. I actually hadn't seen The Wrestler, I don't think, but I was very excited with Black Swan because of the horror elements. And that one at the time led up to the hype, certainly.
0: And in hindsight, eh, it's okay. It's, it's fine. It diminishes a bit. Did you you rewatched all seven of yes. these movies for this? I think actually that's where the suggestion kind of came from when, when we were talking about this. You said you were going to watch all seven. You're going to have a miniature season of Aronofsky and Darren, being the competitive sort, in a very different sort of way than Andrew. I whipped out my notebook and I started writing seven titles down. But well, you, I assumed you would, you would
2: do that anyway. I kind of was preempting you, if anything.
3: <laughs> that is fair. Um,
0: but what were you? Uh, What were you, uh, so what was your reaction to that? What was it like going back to those seven movies with the kind of distance of time?
2: Um, I was quite excited to rewatch, I think, Mother and Black Swan, because I hadn't seen either of those in, well, Mother is fairly recent, I suppose, but Black Swan I hadn't seen in a good 10 years, I'd say. Um, And The Wrestler, I'd watched, I don't know, probably yeah, probably about 10 years ago and didn't really think much of it because I was at that point where I wanted, like, I wanted films with, like, elements of sci-fi or, you know, dream logic or hyper-real, and that was too grounded and real. Uh, but in hindsight, I think The rest Wrestler probably is his best film. I think that, I think as I've matured, I'm like, oh, yes, human drama and, like, subtle, nuanced performances. But, <laughs> real
3: whereas, people.
2: <laughs> exactly, whereas, like, Black Swan, especially The Fountain, is sort of, in hindsight, like, oh, like, they're, they're fun, but they feel, uh, The Fountain especially feels like someone's early filmography. Like, it does feel very... Not random. but sort of. What do you say? Shall we? Yeah. Or... Yeah.
0: I mean, like t- whatever you can say about Aronofsky, he's not a low-effort filmmaker. No. He, no. He, he wants you to know that he's worked very hard on these movies.
3: Yeah.
1: Um, he was going to make um a Batman movie in the early 2000s, and he... his, his villain was the Baffler. <laughs> um, sorry. <laughs> but that is true the, the bit about the batman he movie, was indeed yeah. he was
0: one of the candidates to direct the movie that would in become fact, batman begins
1: christian bale on board didn't and he? he
0: was also attached he gave up the chance to do a superman movie in order to make the fountain the fountain is very much kind of a labor of love for him as well yeah. um and again like this is the thing where Aronofsky's one of those directors where yeah like like yourself i have a very complicated relationship with him we'll maybe talk about that in a moment but andrew actually like i I think you maybe know, you you maybe follow Aronofsky's career maybe a bit more than some of the directors we've talked about. You seem to know a bit more casually about his filmography I think. Yeah, than, I mean say- I've seen
1: The Fountain, I've seen The Wrestler, I've seen Black Swan um, and now I've seen this. I hadn't actually you seen, hadn't this, seen before. this before. You oh, hadn't seen this before? Oh god. I'd seen but I'd never <laughs> watched it in its entirety. <laughs> yeah,
0: but, <laughs> you have you, you spent the
1: past like month
0: and a half making jokes about how much you didn't <laughs> want to watch this movie. Yeah.
1: Well, like, like I, I, I had a feeling, I had a feeling about what I had to, um, in store for me.
2: And during the... Did it live up to that? Exceed it? Well, Not quite yeah. hit
1: it? <laughs> and even, like, during the movie, I was trying to undercut it
3: <laughs>
1: by... Like saying, "Oh, everything's working out. This isn't so bad." <laughs> no, no, there is a moment, like, if you, if you, like
0: non-spoiler for the movie, but if you if you stop at literally the second that is Marlon Wyre delivers to to,
1: yeah. to talk about like your emotional state, yeah. Like, I mean,
0: if you if you stop the movie at the exact moment that the words "Oh, you got a white driver escape Marlon wyan's mouth." It's a pretty good movie. You can just walk away and it's like it's a story about a bunch of people who are caught in an upswing. Everything's going fine. It's going fantastic. I think also yeah. it sort of it, it lulls
2: you the sense it's false insecurity security again, non spoilers. Well, spoilers for title cards I suppose, but like each one yeah. is like a season and you hit fall and you assume, Ah, the fall, this will be like the bad times. This, this is the bad time. <laughs> it is bad, but it's not that bad and then suddenly you hit winter and you're like Ah So if you've got as far as fall, you're like, This is a bit grim, but not the grimace film and then you're like, ah oh, no, this is one more season to go and that's when things get quite upsetting. <laughs> (laughs)
0: spoiler there is no spring i believe that was was, that was philip's philip french's like two paragraph review of this in the guardian uh, which which will which i mean we'll talk like i want to actually quote it when we get to the spoiler zone because it's almost like a petty review Uh,
1: yeah but it's like his his
0: first paragraph is basically this is a movie that takes place uh, it follows them through summer Autumn, summer, autumn and winter. There is no spring. <laughs> and the good. second paragraph it's is a good poster quote. Actually, <laughs> and he, the second paragraph is: "Here's a list of what happens to all of the characters in the final ten minutes of the movie. It makes it a hard movie to like and an impossible movie to recommend." Um, and that's Philip French's review. I will
2: say, actually, on those last ten minutes, like rewatching it again in a non-spoiler way, um, yeah. like I do remember being properly horrified and scarred the first time I watched this uh, as like whatever I was probably 16 or something and then watching sure. it again in college less so watching it again this time it's still very grim and upsetting but <laughs> it's it's almost cartoonish how like grim it is at the end that it it sort of defangs itself a little bit because it's so so overwrought with how horrible it is that it's almost comes around to being funny again not quite but nearly
0: I, I, yeah, th- there is the the observation I think Nathan Rabin made. And again, maybe this is something we'll talk about when we talk about the movie and Aronofsky's interesting evolving reputation. But like Rabin, when he reviewed it in 2000 for the AV Club, was like, yeah, this is an American masterpiece. And then he came back to it for the Dissolve, I think, in 2015 and was like, actually, um, you know what? The movie is so overcranked that if you played Yakety Sax over various sections of it, it might actually be an improvement. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so Andrew, like in, in terms of like quick takeaways on Aronofsky... Like, <laughs> Okay, fine.
1: Sorry, sorry, no, Sorry. Ask, ask her
0: question. Do you have a quick take like on Aronofsky like as a as a director? Because just in general, oh, like, based on what I, you see. as
1: a as as a director in general. Yeah. Um yeah. I would say he is interesting and um divisive i do not i do not I d I I I don't I d I don't I don't think that's a very um kind of um hot um uh, take i i i think i wouldn't be the first person to to kind of posit that
0: describe him as a provocateur yeah yeah
1: well it it, um he has he 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 has his kind of he has his interests and um
0: hold on hold on actually sorry just just to rewind slightly right because you've said you've seen like black swan you've seen like the fountain you've seen the wrestler you haven't seen noah
1: I have, I have.
0: Some oh, so Noah. okay. That's that's grand. Because I was about to ask, you've been spending the I past six don't years. I almost kind
1: of count that.
0: Okay, <laughs> you spent I, the I, past six years doing your impression of Way Winston in Noah, <laughs> and I was wondering if that was just from your imagination.
1: Right. <laughs> yeah, I for I forgot. Yeah, like I've been I've been looking a little bit at like other, um, Aronofsky movies and like doing like the smallest bit of research, but um, it keeps mentioning Noah, and I keep forgetting. <laughs> that's, that, that's an Aronofsky. That's an Aronofsky movie. movie. Yeah, it's a uh, it's um it's an odd one that. Um, that's his
0: blockbuster, which I love. Like that's his that's his like you know sort of like Josh Trank goes to make Fantastic, Ryan Coogler goes to make Black Panther, Aronofsky goes to Paramount and gets like a one hundred and eighty million dollar budget to make Noah, and somehow it makes money, mm-hmm. which is which is inic- that's the most inexplicable well, thing to me. Yeah?
1: I mean, the, the the you 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 get people who don't. Who who don't go to the cinema a lot to go to the cinema to see it, you know, like like um, even like just um, you know the 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 religious, the clergy, um, will will there, oh there was a
0: huge, there was a huge controversy before it even came out yeah um, they had to add um, disavowals to the trailers to warn people oh yeah that it was not yeah a, but a but
1: it, yeah. it's it's not going to kind of keep people from from going I don't think.
0: I'm trying to remember, uh,
1: can
2: either of you remember, did it make any kind of headlines or a Joe Duffy special here when it came out? I know, like, in America, I got a lot of press and whatnot. I'm not sure, I can't remember if it made any waves here, no pun intended, or not. Cause I, I know Benedetta managed to even last year. but
0: <laughs> No, I think, I think here we were just happy to have Russell Crowe come over and visit for the premiere. Mm? I was at the did premiere he? at
1: yes eventually of course eventually he came out his band were playing in the olympia right yeah Uh. Uh, and
0: like when we asked questions afterwards we were only allowed to ask questions about his band um but no, no um that was i believe something diff related and i remember going with my dad and having tickets to see it and i remember it starting two hours late because and this is strictly unsubstantiated not based on any actual knowledge that anybody has but there was some suggestion that it may have been difficult for Crow to get out of the greeting the fans phase of, like, his trip to Dublin. He was in, if you're familiar with O'Connell Street, we were in the Savoy and he was in, is it Madigan's? Is that the pub just up beside the Gresham? And Possibly. apparently the, uh, the the like, the total oh, of yeah. 20 feet walk between the pub and the... Uh, place apparently took him 2 hours good bloody um, hell no
1: i i i, I like i'm I, I i don't um i don't have a problem with that like the i i i like that that russell crowe is in the pub <laughs> with good people <laughs> rather than in the cinema with, with, with all the <laughs> terrible people with all the unwashed dirt <laughs> people. Yeah. with all the nerds yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like Ah, uh, great to see you guys. Uh, um.
0: <laughs> but yes, um, and sorry. Yeah, so in terms of my relationship to Aronofsky, it's very similar to to Richard, where it's like I always feel like I'm a bad film fan because I don't necessarily love all of his movies. I love one of them, which is Black Swan, like unreservedly. I do think Black Swan How much is a do masterpiece. You love it? Yeah, I absolutely do. It's it's one of my it's my favorite of his movies, uh, in large part because I think it's one of the best high concept horror movies of the decade. Yeah. Uh, It's a very good genre piece.
1: Do you have paraphernalia? Sorry? Do you have uh, paraphernalia? Yeah. (laughs) Funny you should mention it, Andrew. One of the reasons why
0: we maybe kept Richard waiting this evening is because Andrew was ferrying a poster of black swan from his brother's house <laughs> to my house which was very generous thank you very much uh, you texted me out of the blue like you were like so darren do you like black swan my and I'm mother
1: like, texted me out of the blue it was from my mum's <laughs> house uh, um did your mom suggest giving it to me yeah my okay. my my mom asked me i think I, I don't know if she mentioned you or if she asked me if i wanted it and oh, i was okay. like Think, uh, Who can I, I offer this I think she might have thing? mentioned you. <laughs> I think she did. I think she thought of you before she thought of me. So
0: it was um, just pure coincidence that
2: like so she just happened to ask oh. you that question? <laughs>
0: oh, yeah. No, no. Like, I, was, I, was, so I was doing prep and research for this. And I get a text message from Andrew saying, you like Black Swan? <laughs> and <laughs> that immediately sets my spider sense going. Because I'm like, is Andrew doing research for this?
1: <laughs> so like, Love it. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah. Um, but yes, yeah, so I, I answer very honestly, which is, yes, it is my favorite Aronofsky movie. And Andrew's like, score Offload the poster. um
2: Do you want to no, know my, my similar story oh. recently to that kind of situation? I I had a pact with a friend that we wouldn't pay money to watch Morbius. We wanted to see Morbius, Morb- <laughs> Morbid Curiosity, but not pay money for Morbid it. Curiosity. I like. And it. the day of the press screening, a ra- uh, his housemate texted me, and she never texted me. Going, hey, do you know of a film called Morbius, and do you want to see it? And I was like, no, but yes. And <laughs> someone else was like, give them their press pass for it. So. That was the workaround there, but again, it was just this like horrible in a very Aronofsky way. Is there a higher power? Is there some kind of cosmological awful ironic ordering to all of this?
0: I do, I do love that the end of our version of Room for a Dream is Andrew getting a text message from his mother telling him that he has to get rid of this poster <laughs> and, and Richard having to sit through Morbius. Intense close-up on Richard's face. I went over, to my, I went over to my
1: mom's house and she was trying to kind of... Uh, I was like, Ma! <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, no, please, no. Not, not the Black Swan poster, please. Yeah. Um, do you want me to pull it off the
0: radiator main here? I'll tear it down. That's a load-bearing wall, Ma. Uh
1: Uh You want me to feel guilty? The text was wasn't like i andrew it's is darren a fan of black swan with natalie portman
0: almost accusatory <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we, we he... know there's we know there are black swan fans out there somewhere
1: yeah um, I, I was just like i don't know i can ask him is, is, is johnny getting rid of his black swan poster and the answer was yes
0: um it is a very nice poster thank you very much
2: <laughs>
3: i think um, you could asked
2: yeah. me before we did this what my favorite film of his was i probably would have said black swan and then on the rewatch i think i just went actually no i think the wrestler is just a slightly better film but I, I think it would have been my favorite of his for a long time. So I, I mostly agree
0: with you. Well, um, again, like that, that's the thing. Is like re-watching it. Like, I respect Aronofsky more than I like him. Mm. And I kind of... I am, And Andrew's like, this is going to be good. Um, but my my general attitude towards him is, is quite similar to something like, say, my attitude towards Denis Villeneuve. Where it's like, I don't necessarily click with him in the way that a lot of other people click with him. Mm. But I'm glad that he has found a way to get lots of money or relatively large (laughs) amounts of money to continue making movies that are as weirdly personal and passive-aggressive as his movies tend to be. (laughs) Like, Mother... like And again, part of it... And again, it's that shifting idea of Aronofsky as an auteur where he's become this kind of almost, like, parody of the controlling, like, director, the Hollywood, like, AFI graduate kind of film director where, like, Mother is... A movie in which he casts his then girlfriend Jennifer Lawrence as a woman who is trapped that. who is trapped in a relationship with a malignant narcissist who is stuck with writer's block, who is also quite literally God. Um, and it's like there there is a sense of I I I think you're in on the joke, but also how much of this is a joke, uh, which I find kind of interesting with Aronofsky and
2: it's the Christopher Nolan. Thing. Yeah, because there's a line at the end of that film, which is something about filmmaking almost, isn't it? I think I took it down somewhere. He's like, if I can't create, I can't yeah, go on or something?
0: That, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and to be fair, like there's a sense like he's, he's not the hero of that film, to be clear. No. <laughs> that, is, that is not a film about how great it is that dudes are obsessive and ruin the lives of the women with which they're involved. Uh, but it's also like, there is a point where it's like... He also can't you know, I, be killed, so... <laughs> Yeah, he also just continuously keeps remaking stuff until it sticks, uh, which again feels very Aronofsky esque. But it's like, yeah, I I admire the fact that his vision is so uniquely his vision, and I think, like, I I think I, the thing I noticed going through his filmography is like, and again, what we will talk about working for a dream in a moment, I promise. Um, but like. Is Aronofsky the greatest Christian filmmaker working in Hollywood, despite obviously being born a, a Jewish from, to a Jewish family? Where it's like, if you look at major American filmmakers, it's really Scorsese's Catholicism uh, is really the only competing one there. But, like, mm. he keeps coming back to this idea of God and divinity and these kind of parables for biblical stories. Uh, like, I, I think you pointed out that even in The Wrestler, like, there's still prayer. Prayer is yeah. still a major part of it. Um, and it's just kind of, it's weird to watch a director who is so aggressive and so alienating of his audience, but who is also, keeps coming back to these themes of religion and belief and faith. Is that fair? Or?
2: Yeah, well, I think it's, it's, it's interesting because, again, what, you've watched them all through, like, it sort of, it starts with Pie, which does have a, some, like, uh, religious but relig- well, they decode it.
0: the torah
2: like, they, yeah. like part of
0: the major supply that's seeing the face of god in numbers also capitalism but
2: it's still kind of mostly grounded in like a science basing like it's sort of doing that thing of like you know religion and science are they one of the same the Bible code. Yeah. but then the religion gets much stronger as it kind of well it kind of takes a backseat during like the wrestler in black swan and then you get back to his last two and they're just full-on nothing but christian imagery so it's, all, it's almost like he started off in a sort of quasi-secular way and then slowly barrels towards like full-blown religion
0: yeah, well, I mean, like obviously, like the fountain is like the tree of life from the Garden of Eden yes. and stuff like that. And the fact that, but like, it's
2: very um, abstracted though. Like, it's not there's nothing super direct. I
0: well, I suppose the Christian
2: missionaries. Well, okay, yeah, there, is, there is there is, there is. <laughs> the
0: Inquisition. <laughs> like, but by immortality.
2: the is a big ball in space. Like, there's no there's no crucifixes <laughs> I, or like Superman I, poses or anything. To,
1: <laughs> talking about religion though, the the way the way religion talks about religion isn't like you know direct. And I I think he's doing it in the spirit. Of kind of um uh the Bible, Mm. you know, in 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 what Darren is saying about kind of parables, where it mightn't be um that obvious, but that there is a strong kind of a a a, a, a spiritual message to it, I guess.
0: Yeah, well, like Mother, for example, where like there was no plot synopsis of it before it was released, and it's only you're you're only halfway through it when you realize, oh no, he's just doing the bible yeah <laughs>
3: like it's, it's quite literally the bible
0: um like right down to the birth of christ the sacrifice of christ the eucharist as very graphic physical metaphor i think uh, that
2: really surprised me the first time around i, I was like okay well, once you twig what they're doing i thought the flood yeah. was very funny how they did that but then i was like they can't actually do like the body of what, christ oh, oh no there we go yeah no, no
0: no they did <laughs> they did um <laughs> And like Jennifer Lawrence is like, I'm very proud of that movie, but if there was one thing I wouldn't do again, it's the baby cannibalism. Um, (laughs) And Darren Aronofsky's like, no symbolism, symbolism. I'm
1: very proud of that movie, but if there's one thing I wouldn't do again, it's that movie.
0: (laughs) 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 It's it's the central point of that movie. All right then, so let's talk a little bit just about Requiem for a Dream, just to put it a little bit in context. Uh, This is obviously Aronofsky's second film. It's coming off the back of Pi, which was his movie, I believe, that was made for somewhere in the region of $60,000, a ridiculously tiny amount of money. He takes it round the film festivals. Everybody loves it. Uh, It is a massive success, I believe, for Artisanal Entertainment, the company that distributes it. While he's doing the festival circuit, the message that Aronofsky gets is, you are a talent to watch. You and this young Christopher Nolan upstart guy. Your first films are kind of amazing and we want to be on the kind of Nolan and Aronofsky trains. We want to know whatever you want to do next. Just let us know and we'll write you a check for it. And Aronofsky goes off and he basically stumbles across uh, Hubert Selby Jr.'s Requiem for a Dream, which was a novel that he couldn't finish the first time that he tried to read it. It was too much for him.
1: Yeah. Had... so <laughs> <I> can't imagine. You... <laughs> The Hubert Selby guy, um a lot of his books were um kind of involved in like um the sale of um was it pornography to minors? As as in like the um They were caught
0: up in kind of witch that Yeah, kind of, like, yeah, yeah. That that there were that there censorship. was all
1: of these kind of um profanity kind of um allegations around it. Yeah, yeah.
0: I think, like, to be fair, Aronofsky had adapted one of his short and stories. And a defense of yeah, free of speech, obviously, and, yeah.
1: a, 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 against it.
0: And yeah, Aronofsky, I think, had adapted one of his short stories as one of his student films. And he basically, he like, he knew him and he went back to him. And he says, like, Selby is the most unassuming guy like he said, when he went to go and visit him to get the rights for working for a Dream, he was standing like in his underwear saying, hey, I'm working on a translation of this classic Greek poem. Do you want to take a look at it? And Aronofsky's like, yeah, sure, whatever. And in fact, actually, you'll notice that the movie has credits like written by Hubert Selby Jr. and Darren Aronofsky. Uh, according to Aronofsky, they never got to work together. Um, what happened is uh, Aronofsky wrote his draft. Uh, Selby went off and is like in the mid 70s like, or out in the late 70s. I actually tried to write a film adaptation of it uh so let me dig it out and send it to you and apparently aronofsky's like yeah the two versions were pretty much identical to one another in fact the biggest change that aronofsky makes well first of all is the addition of tappy timmins the character played by christopher mcdonald uh but also shifting the action from the bronx to brooklyn because obviously aronofsky grew up in a jewish household uh in brooklyn and he got selby's kind of blessing for that but he goes he writes the script uh, he sends it round to all these people at all these film festivals who are like, "Yeah, show us. We want to be on the Aronofsky train. Show us what you got." And none of them ring back and say, "We will uh, give you money to make yeah, this movie."
1: Because he would won like prizes at Sundance. Hadn't yeah, he he'd won the he, big. He'd, kind he'd of won all sorts there. of festival yeah. awards. Yeah,
0: um, and like. Everyone's like, what the hell is this? Get it as far away from me as possible. Until Artisanal Entertainment
1: basically... (laughs) Make me not have seen that.
0: (laughs) Coming, Um, But yeah, they go basically, yeah, no, no, no. Um, None of that for us. But Artisanal Entertainment decide to put up the money to get get it made. I believe it's made with a $5 million budget. It was originally meant to be $6 million. And then I think three weeks before shooting, Artisanal Entertainment go, actually, uh, no, 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 no. Um, Five. Five is what we will give you. And again, the story of casting this is, is very kind of similar where uh, Aronofsky sends the script out to the actors that he wants, in particular to Ellen Bernstein uh, and Marlon Wyans, both received the Ellen script. Burstyn. What? Ellen Burstyn, sorry. Uh, but but they both read the script and have the exact same reaction, which is, no, why would my agent even send this script to me? And I believe actually, like, uh, Wyans is like, yeah, no, this is this is terrible and also kind of racist um it's like it's, it feels like it's the characters are kind of like 70s black exploitation characters mm. in some way shape or form um and he's like and his agent says no read the book and then hawaiians and reads the book and he goes no no the book is worse <laughs> um so the, the agent finally goes go and see pi and the same thing happens with with bernstein where it's like uh, bernstein where it's like go see pi they go see pi and they kind of sign on immediately and we'll maybe talk a little bit then about like conley and leto who have very different journeys towards the film and very different journeys in the film but they managed to sky off. They managed to get, I think, something like eight weeks rehearsal time before was, filming.
1: Was Myron Wayne's wrong? I, I, I don't think it's for me to say, but I think he's right.
0: <laughs> there are there are ongoing debates about that, but yes, yeah. there there is there is I think a very I mean, valid criticism of this movie that is,
1: I I guess we'll talk about it later on. But there 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 are aspects in which the uh, the book is is um, in in which there are things kind of from the book that don't really get or that, that that i felt anyway were were either very subtle or just not there yeah in um in the have philosophy. you re- have you read the book I not, I not. Okay, i've not i've not i've 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 read kind of descriptions of the of the the plot and tried to kind of see what 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 the what the changes uh, were what the difference is yeah
0: you're, you're keeping me on my toes here uh today actually. <laughs> i really admire that um but uh, get a text message out of nowhere saying Darren you like Hubert Selby Jr right <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: but yeah so basically they go off they film the movie um it kind of it it's it's released it's kind of edited it is it is a movie that has a certain amount of impact and actually you know what let's let's do a second round of the game here cuz Andrew Andrew likes to play games this podcast let's let's make this a little bit competitive this movie is released in 2000 it is a festive, somewhat of a festival, darling. It receives, I believe, an eighteen-minute standing ovation at the Cannes Film Festival. Its cast and crew uh, get the midnight screening. They are heralded as heroes. Christopher MacDonald says that he's never felt more like a real actor than when he went to Cannes with, like, Requiem for a Dream. He was able to get into bikini party models, uh, bikini model parties, is how he describes the uh, the kind of. Think he gets right
2: the first time around,
0: probably. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we don't mean to cast aspersions <laughs> on the character of Tabby Timmins here. Um, uh, most of that was improvised, which is quite bad. We'll come back to that. Um,
1: he just went straight to the can porno festival, wasn't <laughs> it? <laughs> I've never felt like so much of an actor.
0: <laughs> never felt like I truly belonged anywhere. Um, but yeah, so it, it kind of, it, it's released. It generates a wave of controversy. It gets a wave of attention. Um, it kind of like, the reviews are very strong, but there's also this kind of pushback against it, which is, is it too bleak? You know, where you have like Owen Gleiberman saying, you know, it may be one of the most disturbing movies ever made. It could upset viewers even more than Clockwork Orange or Natural Born Killers, yet it's impossible to take your eyes off it. You have Anthony Lane, Um, who delivers the line, like, whose Anthony Lane's brief review of it in The New Yorker consists of, whether you go and see Requiem for a Dream depends on two things. First, on whether you admire the dramatic art of Ellen Burstein, which I do. And second, whether you like paying $8 to watch a needle being plunged into a weeping wound the color of eggplant, which on the whole, I don't. Uh, You have like Kevin Thompson, Kevin Thomas, who like describes it as like, if you're willing to submit to a film that is as unremittingly bleak as it is brilliant, you have to be up for and open to this most harrowing of films in order to tolerate it. Ebert calls it a travelogue into hell, but it becomes a sensation. It generates a wave of controversy. We'll maybe talk about that in the spoiler zone in terms of like its rating and kind of like its impact on the culture. How do we think that it did? At the Oscars the following year. So in early 2001, for the year 2000, how many I Oscar know. how many Oscar nominations do we oh, think okay. Requiem for a Dream I got? I feel like probably We're, zero.
1: I think I know the answer for wins, anyway. Uh, not zero, though. Okay.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay, 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 so hold I on. To say, to...
1: I'm going to say one. You're going to say one win? One win, one nomination.
0: Okay, and Richard, you're going with? Uh, if we it, did hear you say zero. Oh, but we'll yeah, give you, you did. Over. Um If you kind of a film I that would two? get overlooked, oh, hold on, sorry. Can I say I two nominations.
1: Two nominations.
0: Two nominations. Okay, so um, hold up. Uh, Richard is doing like actual mental calculation. Okay,
2: I'm going to say two as well, but I think we'll say a different two, maybe. Yeah, actually, no. Okay, okay. I'm going to say three. So you're
0: going to say three nominations. Okay, so what do you think those three nominations were?
2: Who's going first this time?
0: Uh, Richard, it's on you. All you right. got zero, so you got a um, second go. So
2: you... I'm going to say score something along the lines of either sound design or sound editing and maybe screenplay
0: okay andrew you say two nominations one win right so what are you thinking
1: i say uh actress
0: okay ellen bursting um, i'm guessing yeah. rather than it's a good shout actually it's okay and shout. then what's what's your other one
1: um i don't think it uh i i, I don't think it qualifies for song um but looks um looks um oh, it looks turn a, a-, a- turn a yeah a,
0: yeah, a- yeah all right and andrew is is closer of the two it got one nomination and that nomination was for bursting uh mm. in actress she lost uh, oh she lost she, she lost mind. to julia roberts in erin brokovich Um I which is I and again like there's this argument about the question of like the film's kind of legacy uh in terms of like awards where it's like so basically like Aaron Brockovich, like grossed one hundred twenty five million domestically, won five Academy Award nominations. Uh, Traffic grossed you know one hundred twenty four no- million and kind of tagged another five Oscar nominations with Spiel- with Soderbergh winning like competing for Best Picture and Best Director, uh, taking home Director, Supporting Actor for Benicio del Toro, Adapted Screenplay, and Editing. Requiem for a Dream grossed a mere three point six million dollars and received one Academy Award nomination. However. At Netflix in 2007, Traffic had four times as many rentals as Aaron Brockovich, but Requiem for a Dream had three times as many uh, rentals as Traffic had. If you look at Nielsen VideoScan, which measures DVD sales at everywhere but Walmart's, Requiem sold four times as many DVDs as Traffic, and almost six times as many as Aaron Brockovich in early 2007. So there is this sense in which this movie has had an outsized impact, considering its initial critical reception. That... And as we, sorry, sorry no, you finish. <laughs> and as we said, like it's it's on the 250. It's been a fixture of the 250. It has never been lower than number 100 on that list since its initial release. So sorry, Richard. You're going oh, sorry. To...
2: Yeah, no. I was gonna say, is that do you think because it has a sort of reputation of like a, a piece of like modern American extreme cinema, and like a lot of teenagers probably rented it and watched it silently in like basements, and
3: when their yeah. parents
2: weren't there, and also like that score got so famous from the the re, or the, Lord the, of the Rings, yeah, trailer. the rearrangement of it that maybe that also contributed to it to a point. Andrew, think, yeah, the,
1: the, the, it's kind of like a nasty kind of. Mm. Um, evening like where you're like oh um, i can't watch
0: but then you can't look away right
1: because
2: the ending is so
0: cool and hip (laughs) (laughs) actually like the argument is almost the opposite or the argument i've seen advanced is almost the opposite of that where it's like the film's crossover breakover success a lot of people put that on bursting on the fact that bursting exists because for a certain bears bursting bears yes bursting bears um But they basically they put it on on Ellen. I'm going to call her Ellen then because she seems like I can call her Ellen. But they put that on her presence there where the fact is that like she adds a veneer of respectability to it. She's obviously a screen icon going back to the 70s. She already has an Oscar. I believe her Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore, the Martin Scorsese movie. Um, And the fact that she could draw an audience that would not normally be attracted to a movie that would seem as extreme or as radical as this is. In fact, actually, if you dig into like the newspaper coverage in 2000, 2001, 2000, 2002. There are all these stories of old women going to screenings of Requiem for a Dream based on the fact that they heard that Burstein is amazing in it um, and then just coming out look looking shell-shocked. Mm, I can um, imagine <laughs> there's one story I read, and again we'll probably talk about this in the spoiler Zone, but like three women walking out looking completely flustered, all the blood gone from their faces, and the cinema staff like asking, you know, just politely, you you don't look like the kind of person that we would expect to like want to go and see this movie. Why did you go? And it's like, oh, The head of our choir recommended it. The head of our church choir recommended it. He said the cello work was
1: amazing. (laughs) Um, By the way, I should be clear: you could be pronouncing that surname correctly. It just sounds wrong to me. (laughs) I I think. I
0: think it probably. I think it's. It's always safe to say it is wrong. Um, All right, so that's it.
1: Weyans as well.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Okay. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Making a note there. It's good. I like this constructive attitude. You did just give me a poster. I can't really complain. All right. Sorry. So three questions before we jump into this war zone to talk about this movie in a bit more depth. So, Richard, do you think Darren Aronofsky's Requiem for a Dream, the 2000 independent drama, belongs on a list of the 250 greatest movies ever made?
2: Oh, yeah. Uh, Yes, I think. Well, Okay. Anytime you ask you this question, I always think, like, are we taking the list as, like, an objective thing, or are we taking the list in the context of what that list is? Because I, I think it's a very, like, American-central list, and I think I joked before that the film Joker is the most, like, perfectly INDB 250 <laughs> film that ever, like, existed. Yes. And, yeah. like, in that kind of context, this does fit on that list, like, in a...
0: I'm... Not to get too spoiler, but there is a Joker sequence where like one of the characters like wears makeup and dances in front of a mirror mm-hmm. in slow motion as kind of the editing gets all trippy. You know, she doesn't quite chance to smile, but it, it's very much like it, it has very, it has big Joker, Joker energy. Both
2: films Sorry. feature prominent fridges as well.
0: Yeah. And roles that maybe might have been played by Jared Leto mm-hmm. if things had gone just My a little club. bit
1: differently um i guess is 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 a very 250 that's the uh, other one yeah (laughs) yeah yeah.
0: but sorry sorry uh Uh,
2: but yeah no i think in the context of what the 250 list is i think this does feel like a very appropriate addition on it um i don't know if it deserves to be quite as high as it apparently is given so many other films exist in the world but no i think it
0: (laughs) i think it fits this list specifically yeah yeah
3: Hmm. yeah
0: question mark i I, I like your certainty your commitment (laughs) (laughs) Um you could be an Aronofsky uh protagonist with that certainty. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Andrew, what about yourself having just watched this for the first time and like grappling with its cultural legacy? Like somebody who was aware of the movie and aware of its reputation like purely through osmosis but actually watched it for the first time for this podcast. Do you think it belongs a list of the 250 greatest movies ever made?
1: Um possibly. I'm not sure I put Aronofsky in that kind of pantheon of directors where you have to have like some representation least, some of some representation mm. of them um on the list like you have with kind of um, um
0: scorsese spielberg hitchcock uh kubrick that's yeah
1: of but then again like I, I i i feel nolan darren whispers yeah i feel like villanov is maybe overrepresented on the list as well just give given the the yeah the whole 250 ness of us and or the ifi ness uh, sorry afi ness <laughs> of it. um i beg your pardon no um, slander intended for the irish no no, no um then it perhaps does and i don't know if um for some reason i don't i i've seen black swan yeah and it hasn't really stayed with me okay um and this i feel like will (laughs) uh this um, already had before you'd even seen it which is quite an impressive accomplishment but it was kind of like where i can make fun of it because i don't (laughs) (laughs) and and maybe i'll get to the point again where i can make fun of it make it
2: sound like this is traumatizing this is your vietnam yeah like you weren't there but you can make jokes about it
1: (laughs) i was trying to make fun of it during the movie and it didn't work (laughs) it destroyed me um but like in a kind of a sneaky way like where the next day I was like anxious oh, yeah. about everything oh, yeah. they oh, yeah. they will talk about that later on but but um uh yeah I I, I think I might have an argument um for 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 being on the list I think perhaps if you're going to have an Aronofsky movie on the list I feel like this is maybe the one yeah um mm. they just they like I uh, like it, it 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 feels like a very um uh strong choice and and as well it's it's a kind of a it, it kind of gets into that late nineties stuff, even though I think it's the two thousand oh, movie. Yeah, yeah. yeah oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, the summer of ninety yeah. nine. And the fall da- of 99. Darren has turned into <laughs> the
0: <laughs> wait for the winter of nineteen ninety nine. So Darren just turned into the fridge from Requiem. Meanwhile,
1: <laughs> the wrestler was wrestling. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> sorry but yeah, we did a summer of 99 we did a
0: summer of 99 season and Andrew keeps finding it hilarious that I was like yes wrestling is an American art form that <laughs> needs some recognition
1: yeah you need to talk about wrestling uh, every single time but if, if we had
0: covered the list in 2008 we would have Andrew we yeah,
1: he would have like, had a whole episode to talk about it he's like uh, it's kind of like Britney Spears <laughs> it was like uh, top, was of the ch- top of the charts America's Stone Cold Steve <laughs> Austin was yeah. in the middle of an uninterrupted rain at that same time Razor Ramon was, <laughs> <was> like,
2: okay <laughs> of course the great quote from the wrestler is the, the 90 sucks so you know it's all very appropriate <laughs> um,
1: but
0: yeah and, and for myself I mean yes this is the thing in terms of like what the list is I think it is a very listy movie it's um, <laughs> but yeah I think that yeah, I think, I'd, and you can make an argument for it I think in terms of its influence I think that a lot of movies coming after this look very much like this. I think its style is massively influential um, in terms of, say... I mean, Aronofsky talks about the, hip, the hip-hop monster montages, but things like its use of even split-screen, for example, uh, things like its use of uh, Storycam, or Storycam, Snorricam, I think it is, uh, which is the fixing of the camera to an actor's body, which was, like, again, something that existed before this. Uh, in fact, it's named for two separate, unrelated Icelandic filmmakers named Snorri, which is kind of one of my favourite facts about it. Um, but it was also, there like, used nobody...
1: By- no two people in iceland are unrelated by the way can i just state that for the record um, no two people on the planet are unrelated
0: Andrew, to be fair um but well, yes
1: they, they, sorry let's say they both know each other true bjork um, <laughs> bjork is the one degree of separation bjork
3: story yeah um
0: and by the way bjork also shows up in the show notes we'll talk we, we will be talking about bjork later um, but if, it's worth if, noting, like... Uh, if it
1: gets a bit quiet. <laughs> and so peaceful until...
0: Um, but yes, it is named for, and I apologise for this, Einar Snorri and Ider Snorri, who are no relationship to one another, but both really, really like the technique. And obviously it had been used by, like, John Frankenheimer's Seconds from 1966, Scorsese's Mean Street in 1973, and obviously in the 90s it had been used in things like, say, the Wachowskis Bound. They use that with Joe Pantoliano, for example. But this really feels like it's the moment at which it becomes... Everybody is using it all the time to show that your character is totally messed up, whether physically or emotionally. Um, and I think that, like, this is sorry, that's been a weird aside on the Snorri Cam. I'm not just <laughs> arguing that the Snorri Cam used in this movie merits its place, but more that, like, again, things like the hip hop montages, things like its use of split screen, its formal technique, I think, arguably merits its inclusion here. I think it's a hugely influential movie. I also think it's an influential movie in terms of, like, the tone of American indies where it really feels like after this, up until, say, Little Miss Sunshine, like, it becomes American indies or Grimmslog travelogues into hell. Where, like, if you read New York Times reviews of indies for, like, the seven years after this, all of them are, what if Requiem for a Dream, but in Iowa? Uh, and it's like, okay, that's that's what we're doing now. But it's like, yeah, you get this kind of, like, weird thing. I wonder thing.
1: why they were making those movies then. Yeah. <laughs> in in like uh the the the, the um kind of to, to... like
0: post 9 11 it's kind of yeah
3: what was the <laughs> no, vibe that, oh, yeah.
1: that's not what i'm referring to oh okay um, <laughs> um i uh, like like uh, the these kind of like uh, grim deaths of uh kind of uh, the american dream requiem for an yeah, american yeah. dream um, um
0: to quote the noam chomsky movie from 2016 um,
1: yeah, they they, they they it's it's kind of like everybody's talking about it a lot more now, but it's something that was kind of happening then, but underneath the surface is the whole, the whole kind of like opioid epidemic kind of growing. But I think that's more a symptom of something personally then, than than yeah that 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 it's well we'll speak about that later, I guess when we start talking about the.
0: Well, I mean, like, again, like, Requiem for a Dream kind of just enters the cultural lexicon as a phrase after the movies there. Like, when I was doing research for this, it was really annoying, because I keep getting articles about, like, Steve Earle's memoir, A Eulogy of Sorts, Noam Chomsky's, like, 2016 documentary, or, like, Barack Obama's disillusionment with American political system. Uh, Requiem for a Dream just becomes a kind of a cultural shorthand. But yeah, I think if you were to make an argument on that basis, it probably belongs there. I think there's an argument also that this is Aronofsky's purest distillation of his filmmaking as like technical craft but also in terms of theme where it's like I feel like if you've seen Requiem for a Dream you kind of get Aronofsky you kind of get his whole vibe it's like there are maybe some surprises as you go down the line but it's like you see Requiem for a Dream and you see Noah from the director of Requiem for a Dream and it's like i kind of know what that movie going to be mm. and it's not going to be like the ten commandments or uh you know charlton heston or whatever um so i think that yeah i think you could make an argument uh for for it on that basis so probably i guess it's my cheat answer to this and i mean we'll probably get into this in the spoiler zone but Requiem cream for a dream versus train spotting just to put a pin in that and to set that up as a debate for the second half of this podcast
1: oh okay second half second yeah. half all right I haven't
0: actually ever seen trainspotting, so I
2: can't
1: oh, participate
0: wow. in that debate. Oh, don't worry, Andrew hadn't seen Requiem for a Dream until last week, and he <laughs> was perfectly
3: comfortable talking yeah, about I it. Suppose. Uh,
1: so, so, so one person who has seen the movie. No, yeah, I, I would also not have. I would also have to have not seen Requiem for a Dream for us for the st- debate for to, a, ma- ma- to balance. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. For I, I, I'd be trying to convince um, uh, Richard who hasn't seen train spotting that it's a good movie and he'd be <laughs> trying to
0: convince you <laughs> <in> the <theater laughs> for a um, but richard would this be on your own personal 250 favorite movies bloody hell um <laughs> feels like a loaded question it, see,
2: i feel like i'd i'd probably try and give aronofsky a film on such a list if i ever dared make one i don't know that it would be this i think i would be more tempted to put black swan or the wrestler on there or maybe even pie. I really like pie. Um, pie is
0: great. I do like pie. It's um, good with cream. No, <laughs> no I, I like the movie pie as well.
2: I mean, that's got a... not quite cream. There is a, a very prominent American goo at pie. one point. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I think... Like, maybe... Again, a very unhelpful answer of maybe... <laughs> Maybe.
0: All right. If you were doing a quick ranking of his movies, you think The Wrestler is the best on recent rewatch. So like, not you don't have to do all seven unless you want to. But like, where would Requiem fall in the ranking for you? Would it be mid tier? Would it be top tier? Would it be bottom tier? Would it be ass tier?
2: i'm wondering who's gonna get that quote in where at like the most precise moment for maximum <laughs> yeah fact,
0: yeah
2: i think we actually missed the moment that you're on that i was gonna do it but you're like mitchfield i didn't want to interrupt you um, so- <laughs> oh
0: sorry but we can go we can do By a way, take too i can't remember yeah. what it was now though but Could i never at the, me the time mentally
2: kind of going mm, just, that would not a good just, point can, to say it
3: um
1: <laughs> can, can we, we can't say it um enough like if we're ever talking um, Interruptive. Yeah, no, of uh, course. B- yeah, yeah. B- b- particularly if you have a good like excuse to
0: work in, like <laughs> yeah, ass to
1: ass. It's never a bad moment.
2: It felt inappropriate at the time, but I'll note that no such uh, As to uh, ass to yeah. ass is <laughs>
1: never
0: inappropriate. Richard,
1: interrupting us. Oh, is that's never not a good quote. To have out a context yeah. for you.
2: Yeah. <laughs> that's what it well, was it was during the talk too. of the bikini thing that's what it was um <laughs>
1: it's us, the,
2: okay. the can party <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
1: it's us, us, Tuesday. um
2: you're asking a <laughs> ranking though sorry yes i think a rough ranking will probably be let's say wrestler black swan then maybe this or maybe pie and then this so let's say third or fourth so okay. mid i guess
0: mid All to upper right. and and Andrew, with this having just watched this, would this be on your own personal two hundred and fifty favorite movies? Is this getting a ticket to Good Movie Island?
1: Um, I I think Ellen Burstyn is a uh, uh, crazy good. Yeah. Um, I think um this is a very powerful, memorable movie. Um, I, I, I think the Kronos Quartet are fantastic. I'm, I'm, I'm big fans of them. Anyway, the Clint Mansell but, uh, the, score, yeah. yeah, the Clint Mansell score is, is, is terrific. A, uh, Lux Aeturnum is this really kind of a coic, uh, uh, piece of music now. Um, and I hate this movie. <laughs> <laughs> like, that was a nice build-up. I, like, yeah. I like the,
0: the slow rap. Yeah, yeah. I I, hate like, it. like Andrew's I, speech had like a summer I, I, section. I, there was no fall. Yeah, it was just straight yeah, to winter. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. The bang,
0: the sound of clanging, as like the the judgment comes down on a... it. Right,
1: I mean, so the... I, like, I, I, yeah, I, I, I don't. <laughs> i i i don't mind if a movie makes me feel um uh sad or if i cry watching a movie I didn't cry watching this I was just devastated I, I, <laughs> and, I, and and it was like the next day I was like thinking about it and I was feeling sick and uh and i felt like anxious and um so and like it, it it doesn't have like the 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 you know the 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 tonal like balance that you have having in kind of um uh you know the movies like that i do like but also the movies that i do like don't do that thing to me that this movie did i like i i'm and 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 what i'm saying is it wouldn't be on my 250 you know yeah no so it, it, like it it's it, i don't want a movie to do that to me <laughs> <laughs> like Maybe. um I do.
0: I do do love, by the way, that it's like there. There is like a moment of like when I was watching this because I I rewatched this and I remembered. I was amazed how much I remembered down to particular shots. Yeah. And and I remember that sense of dread that Andrew kind of mentioned, and it was like because this stayed with me for quite a while afterwards. I was not eager to rewatch it. There's a reason we haven't covered this in the six years we've been doing this (laughs) podcast. Um, No. (laughs) Why you gonna make me feel so bad, Richard? but um, like, but I remember like rewatching it this time for this. There was one moment where I was like, "Oh, it's like it's a joke. It's a moment of levity, and it's the moment where like Marlon Wy- Marlon Wayans is in the car, and like the shutter goes down, and he's like really impressed that the black drug dealer has like a white driver." And I'm like, "Oh, this is kind of funny, isn't it?" And then, <laughs> and then the movie is like, "Gotcha, gotcha, Darren, gotcha." Yeah. Um,
1: well, it is trying to mess you up there, <laughs> yeah no no, it yeah, is yeah, and it's ob- upset you and like tear you apart and it's 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 um it's doing like um it's doing to the audience what they did to like Joe pesci at the end of casino <laughs> <laughs> with the baseball, box. yeah, yeah.
3: Yeah. which it's is three, also well,
1: something it's also like a movie that i don't like but you which know, i stuff love stuff like that yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. which
3: i absolutely
1: well oh. come on now uh, martin Scorsese. says why did you think i'd want to see that <laughs> <laughs> i unequivocally but, but maybe that makes me um, a candy ass <laughs> <laughs> like, I, it's I, possible I, oh. I, I think
0: you're, I think you're, I think you're okay. And again, we will have a, we will have an optional RoboCop, re- RoboCop reference later on. I,
1: I, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Oh, oh so we have two, we,
0: yeah. we have two. But I well, was going to no, say, no, did it make I... you feel like Alex Murphy in RoboCop? Like, is that what it made you feel like emotionally? For our gratuitous RoboCop re- or our, our, man- our obligatory RoboCop I, we'll,
1: reference. We'll, there, there will be, there, there, there will be <laughs> gratuitous. a, a um, is, is that the obligatory RoboCop that is, That's reference? the obligatory one. There, we'll there, is obvious, um, right. there, there is a very obvious um, RoboCop reference. All right. But the film, I'll like a wider sense. I'll make it after. No, I, I know exactly <laughs> what it is. I'll, I'll make it in the spoiler yeah. zone. Yeah. All right. Yeah.
0: Uh, and in terms of for myself like after rewatching it I'm quite surprised. I thought that before rewatching it I thought I'd be like no, get it the hell away from me. I don't and I probably will never watch this movie again. <laughs> but like rewatching it I was kind of just taken by it in a way that I didn't expect to be. Perhaps because I had that initial response of revulsion like when I saw it 15 years ago. I remember the first time I saw it. First time I saw it and again this is the thing when we talked about train spotting I mentioned that my mother has this weird thing where she has said she will never watch *Train Spotting*, no matter what, no matter what the circumstances, she will not watch *Train Spotting*. And part of me is like, has she confused *Train Spotting* with *Requiem for a <laughs> Dream*? Uh, because they are both drugs movies from the late '90s. And I remember the first time I watched this was while, after my sister had been born, um, I think mum had to go visit her parents with my sister to kind of show the baby round, and it was myself and my father. And I think some other male relatives were just around the house and it was like, oh, hey, there's this movie and it's got great reviews. It's from this young upcoming filmmaker. And, uh, you know, let's let's stick this on. And like watching this with my dad and several other older male (laughs) relatives Um, and like it becomes it's quite clear early on that this is not going to be an easy watch, but it kind of just goes further than it um, and so that kind of is what stuck with me from from like having watched it that one time all those years ago but rewatching watching it now as an adult part of me is also like there's a lot of technique here and a lot of craft and a lot of energy and a lot of verb undoubtedly
1: yeah um, the editing is I very mean,
2: like hypnotic and watchable and just propulsive yeah,
1: yeah. Not, not crazy about the split screens Oh, we'll talk about those. Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. I, I have a whole section on the split
2: screens.
1: Um, I have notes also. Oh, fantastic. Can't wait.
0: Uh, <laughs> Andrew's like, this is the best podcast. This is exactly what Andrew wants from a podcast. Back
1: did a good bit. <laughs> um, yeah. Two guys comparing notes about split screen.
0: Um, I, I got you, Richard. Um, but like, yeah, I, I, coming back to it, I was quite surprised at just the craft and technique of it and kind of the hypnoticness, the rhythm of it being sucked into it, how well it's made, how, you know, for all that it's harrowing and unsettling and crawls onto your skin, it also, like, looks beautiful. Its use of color is striking and vivid. The way in which it, like, communicates its themes is kind of amazing. And it's like, I think Black Swan is probably my favorite uh, Aronofsky film. And I think it still is after rewatch there. Because it's just, it's a simple relatively unpretentious Mm. genre piece Mm. Uh, (laughs) it's like (laughs) like there's a little pretension there (laughs) it's good fun though yeah okay fine um but like i think this may be my second favorite so it might sneak in somewhere kind of down near the bottom of my own kind of personal 250 controversially i i think i said on train spotting that i much prefer train spotting to this having rewatched the two closely together i think i like this a lot more and I suspect Andrew knows exactly why that is. Um, Andrew writes Manifest Destiny question mark down in his notes. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, well, it's, uh, people are disappointed with the moon landing, isn't it? Yeah, that's
0: exactly what this movie captures. It's, it's <laughs> very much so. Um, yeah. Like When I was rewatching it, like I will tell you the moment I kind of fell in love with it was the moment where they pushed a television past the crumbling ruins of like the twister on Goni Island. And Darren is like. This is the good stuff. That was when Darren had his hip hop montage of like the endorphin hit and rush. All right, then. And final question before we jump into the spoiler zone. Richard, if listeners have not yet seen Cream for a Dream, whether they have absorbed any of it passively <laughs> through osmosis, would you recommend that they pause the podcast and stream it to a local device? It is available on Amazon mm. Prime as a dark young adult drama, I
2: also noticed that in the <laughs> the description. In the description, mm. yeah, mm.
0: that's an interesting genre <laughs> classification. Um, um Lord, uh, so It's
1: like the Fultoner stars. Yeah, yeah, like the Faulkner stars,
0: <laughs> the Hunger Games. Uh,
1: the Hunger mm. Games is a drama? <laughs> fair, fair. That's that's your criticism here. <laughs> I I think,
2: like, divorced of emotions on like a pure craft level, I'd say yes. But in terms of a doing to them what was done to andrew in the last 24 hours maybe no i think a lot of people probably couldn't hack this film anymore i don't know and,
0: al- and also like again this is like a not a good chill pandemic watch we were talking yeah. about the sound of music and we casually <laughs> mentioned that this was coming up and i think our guest at the time remarked that watching it during the pandemic was a mistake
1: yeah it makes you want to kill yourself with something other than heroin yeah <laughs> <laughs> Like
0: sorry.
2: <laughs> Another good poster quote. Um,
0: no. <laughs> <laughs> Travelogue into Hell. Well, would you recommend maybe that, you know, maybe if they're feeling like maybe this is a bit heady, would you recommend maybe watching the edited cut of this?
2: Oh, I think I've heard about this, but I don't I didn't look into it though. Um, oh, go on. <laughs>
0: yeah. It's it's great cuz Aronofsky is so petty that the edited cut actually like the title of it is Requiem for a Dream edited cut in big red letters so you know nice, that you're not nice. watching the director's approved version of this. Um, but yes, we'll talk about maybe some of the ratings controversy in the spoiler zone. Andrew, if listeners have not already seen and for a Dream, the young adult drama, would you recommend that they pause the podcast? Dark young adult drama. Dark, that's very important. Dark young adult drama. Would you recommend that they pause the podcast
1: and stream it to a local device? No. no I... I <laughs> I, I wouldn't like if you want to watch it. If you insist on seeing it, you. Then, if you insist then, on seeing it, no, a no, but talk like, like sorry, if 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 I'm not going to dissuade people from yeah. watching it, like it's a free country, you know. <laughs> but but I'm I'm not going to be responsible for somebody. <laughs> um, for what I'm happened. not going to do to to our listeners, what <laughs> I did to you apparently, yeah, yeah. what Richard did to us, maybe, yeah, like like do it or don't. If you've seen it already, like you can you can listen to us talk about it. But um, yeah, they? they um, there are things to recommend about it, but I wouldn't <laughs> I want to be the person who does that recommending.
0: You're, you're very similar to Philip French, which is like hard to watch and impossible to recommend.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah, precisely.
0: Can
2: I give a slightly qualified
1: additional answer, actually? I
2: would say if you've seen it before, it's a lot easier on a second viewing. Yes. Um, okay. Or also, if you don't watch it at all, just listen to the score through, and if you can handle that, maybe <laughs> <You> the film is
0: tolerable. You, you thought can picture it in your
2: mind. I, I
1: was listening to the score because today because I was very impressed with it, and it was, it was re-dramatizing.
2: <laughs> That's why I say, listen I, to that on its own first, and if like the emotions <laughs> it like brings out in you are too much to handle, in isolation, don't then watch the film.
1: I had to meditate after <laughs> <laughs> I listening. Oh, you to, could hear is that like
2: deranged to... conga music.
1: Yeah. I, I just had to kind of like focus on like um I had to repeat encouraging kind of uh, words to myself and that sort of thing and and just join us in creating excellence
0: (laughs) (laughs) join us in creating juice by Andrew, juice by Andrew Um Um, yeah. And in terms of like recommendations for myself, I kind of agree with both of you. I don't think anyone wants to be the person who recommends Requiem for a Dream. I don't think you want that association in anybody's mind. I don't think like when people think of you for them to think that's the guy who told me to watch Requiem for a Dream. Um. That said, if you are like in a really good place emotionally, if you are like stable and comfortable. And
1: you're and, like, sick of it. You're bored. Yeah. <laughs>
0: If life is going a little bit too. But also
2: well. the opposite. If you're in like a really, really bad place, like it could always be worse, kind of way, maybe.
0: Perhaps, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I don't feel like recommending this to somebody who's already on a downward trajectory. Uh, no, I know, going...
2: but <laughs> sometimes.
0: <laughs> Richard's like waiting for the "It's a Wonderful Life" cut at the end, where like this is just the second act. I'm waiting for spring. Spring is when it's really going to pick up for these characters. Um, yeah, so that would be my, uh, my uh, very qualified recommendation, which is like, yeah, if you absolutely kind of, again, what Andrew said, if you insist on seeing it, if you're curious about like American independent movies, if you're curious about Aronofsky... Or play as
1: well, if someone wants to watch this. Like, you know. As, 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 as in it's, 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 a, it's a, a wordy thing to do, like as a, as a film buff, I guess.
0: Yeah. I mean, like again, this is a movie that I think is hugely influential. I and mean, you think that was like... Uh, you know, almost like a triggering mechanism for a certain generation of filmmakers as well. Like, mm-hmm. I think that there are a lot of young filmmakers who saw themselves as the new Aronofsky, whether for better or for worse. And I imagine like part of Aronofsky's changing reputation is in large part less to do with Aronofsky and more to do with what he represents. Where like one of the one of the most striking and surprising things in my notes uh, about like Requiem for a Dream is like all the quotes from like people, all the all the adults in the cast where like Requiem for a Dream was like one of the best experiences I ever had. Ellen Burstein's like, he's the most fun director I've ever worked <laughs> with. It was one of the most genuine collaborations I ever had. Christopher McDonald's like, yeah, we hung around and went around New York and I just improvised all of it and he was just feeding me lines. And like when I do good takes, he would be laughing at the edge of the screen and it was just a wonderful time to be. And even Keith David's like, yeah, the energy that he brought to that set was just tremendous and amazing and excellent. This Darren was just like this really enthusiastic, energetic kind of energy, energizer bunny. Um and like you kind of it's hard to reconcile that with the reputation that he's kind of cultivated since, so yeah, I mean, a, a recommendation very qualified if you're if you're feeling good and maybe maybe don't want to uh don't, don't want, to, <laughs> don't feel want to feel good, yeah. <laughs> yeah, when the pandemic is over and we've
2: solved the environmental crisis, and there's not like fascism on the rise, when like things are good generally, maybe then watch it.
0: Yeah, so like 1999, 2000, like just before 9 11. Like, this is again a very 2000 movie. It's like, what? Yeah. Like, Ameri- maybe America's feeling too good about its. Yeah, peak maybe end of history problem. kind of business. Yeah. Yeah, it's if like. This
1: would be this would be good, like, for something like Truman in the Truman Show. he <laughs> you get to watch back in this. the bubble. Like, if, yeah, like yeah. Ed
0: Harris just projects it on the sky at the end of the <laughs> Truman Show, and it's like, this is what the outside world is like, oh, Truman. Right, like,
1: his, his life is so kind of like, um, you know, the happy in that in that they're trying to kind of like create that sort of bubble around them. Anyway, sorry. I don't know why I just thought of the Truman Show.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right. With that in mind, we will segue neatly into the Spoiler Zone. Spoiler Zone! So Richard... What is Requiem for a Dream about for you?
3: Hmm.
2: Um. I mean, I think we joked earlier. It's it's an anti-drug PSA first and forward uh, foremost. Um. Although I think on the rewatch, I kind of went into this expecting. Um. All of his films, I kind of had a rough thesis in mind, like what his filmography was about, before I watched all these again. Okay, and um, hit us, hit us with it. Uh, something along the lines like there's always like an ordering principle. Be that religion, be that like belief, be that in the case of Wrestler and Black Swan, sort of
0: fame or
2: uh, Well, like yeah, the creation of art. Even if it destroys you, at least that's something. Like you've built something. Even if it kills you, like it's 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 a it's a life goal, it's an achievement. Whereas this one, like, is the one sort of nihilistic kind of it's all hopeless, everything goes to hell, don't even try kind of movie. But then watching it back, this one, and there's a quote I read somewhere about how it's it's all of their individual delusions. And that's kind of all of his films, really. Like it's all personal delusion, be that God, be that your sense of self-importance with the art you make. Like they're all kind of about the same thing as this. So this is about drugs specifically, but like essentially all of his films are that.
0: Trying to trying to impose hmm. your order on the universe. Yeah, trying to make sense of the universe, trying to impose that order in principle.
1: I yeah, I um I feel like it's about how there's no chemical solution to a spiritual problem. Mm-hmm. I think that's the, that, that that's kind of part of it. I don't think these people have, uh, I don't think uh, drugs are at the root of their problems. No. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And okay. that, 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 that it's kind of spiritual or existential issues that, that, uh, that they're having. They're either, that, 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 that Sarah is kind of uh, living kind of in the, Pass and also has these kind of like hopes for the future, but can't. um Like, um, yeah. Well, I mean, even as you that, get towards the end, as you get towards
0: the end, the characters are like, it'll be like summer again. It'll remember summer. Summer yeah, it's great. Like, like exactly. there's already nostalgia by the time you hit fall. For like, we can recapture those glory days. And you have like again, you have the idea of like even uh, Harry like with with Marion is like it'll be like it was that sort of thing as well. The,
1: it, it's where kind of there is an emptiness where. You know, um, having having a breakfast that is like a grapefruit, a cup of coffee, and an egg is okay for a person if they're not completely <laughs> empty. <laughs> you know, um, as, as, as in like if you if you they if you if you
0: if if that if isn't the highlight to, of your day,
1: yeah. If you have to fill like your world with all the, these kind of like um uh, like you know um. Whatever 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 kind of um, drug or substance it is.
0: And it can even be like television. You know, yeah, like, yeah. Whether it's
1: television or sugar or uh, the fantasy, the American yeah, dream. Or, or or drugs. There's something missing and you're trying to replace it. Or love, actually. Yeah. I, 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 I think I think in this movie there there there's a line where he says, Someone like you can make things right for me and he's totally wrong. <laughs> yeah, anyone Who's ever kind of taught that, I think, is is, is generally wrong. I mean it's also um, about
0: loneliness as well like yeah. like Sarah keeps coming back to talking about how lonely she is and how he never yeah. comes to visit and how her son is is never there and how like how important it is to be the center of attention like that sequence where she fills out the form and like the all the women are marching with her and she goes to post it and you get that god's eye view overhead shot like she's a celebrity um but the I idea that yeah it comes like,
1: as well from her not being a person yeah. or or her not having kind of um, a sense of self yeah our our kind of a sense of worth um um or a um a meaning that is kind of um undefeatable yeah um and uh kind of uh can't be i i i guess um compromised or so doesn't depend on other people to kind of you know come around justify it give or, yeah, her meaning to impose
0: it yeah. meaning on it i mean yeah well that's the thing where this is an interesting kind of counterpart to, to kind of train spotting where like i thought i argued like train spotting is that kind of like end of century end of millennium kind of anxiety of well look cold war's over there's no big overriding like ideological conflict you know the end of history liberal democracy has won you can be anything that you want or that you choose to be and like train spotting's like that is terrifying I choose heroin because it means I don't have to make any other choices. Heroin is the only choice that I make. Because if, yeah. the, or if you're on heroin, it's, your only priority is finding more heroin. Well, it's
1: explicitly and, um, like uh, a, a film choice. that deals with uh, ordering principles.
0: Yeah. And I mean, and, and I, I think it, this is interesting because it's, it's like a an, philosophy.
1: Like yeah. heroin,
0: Hero, That's That's he yeah. does. He, I think he almost describes it as a philosophy. I don't know the exact wording, but it's like yeah, heroin is is an answer basically.
1: Yeah. And I think that what's what, interesting about work, sorry. yeah, that 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 normally like you're you're um, you're 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 you're, you're trying to get the ride or. Or you have a missus and she's giving you uh, trouble, trouble or, or yeah, or your football team is losing, and um, yeah, all these things all that are outside th- of your control. Yeah, and, yeah, you know. yeah, yeah. Where whereas there is an answer, a solution to all your problems,
0: and that's heroin. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And I think that what's interesting about working for a dream, and is... and it,
1: it gives you purpose as well. Because, sorry, be, 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 be because your life becomes a, a, about, about procuring getting more, yeah, procuring more. more, yeah, more yeah, but, yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah, and I think what's what's interesting about working for a dream is that it's like it's a very american twist on that same concept where like train spotting is a very british or particularly a very scottish like approach to that which is this idea of giving up agency and surrendering agency and recognizing that like there is so much choice that there is no choice um yeah. anymore really and that this none of it matters this
1: dream. this is yeah. the
0: opposite where like Everything in this movie is, like, aspirational. It's about wanting more. It's about trying to fill that void inside yourself with something. And again, all of the... Sorry, all the characters.
1: Prosperity gospel. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, that's it. Like, again, it's, it's like, obviously, like, she dreams, Sarah dreams of being on television. And she hopes that, she imagines that if she's on television, it'll reconnect her with her son. It'll allow her to celebrate her husband. She'll get external validation. She'll reconnect with Harry. Harry will marry a nice girl and settle down. And she will have everything that she ever wanted. You know, you have Harry... Who, like, wants to impress Marion, who, like, wants to, like, be with Marion, who wants to be a successful entrepreneur in his own right, who wants to start his own business. You have Marion, who's dealing with the fact that, like... And again, she's she's the daughter of, like, these... I believe they're, they work in fashion, ironically, given the fact that she wants to work in fashion as well and start her own business and her own identity and buy her own storefront. And, like, that's what she wants. And, like, cocaine is a way for her to pursue that, where it energizes her and she gets to draw and create and kind of fashion. And even somebody, like who's probably the least developed of the four leads even he has like that really simple really driving thing of i told you mom i told you i'd make it and it's the idea of making it and like you have his mother quite literally tell him you don't need to make it you just need to love your mama which feels like a very like a thematic statement for the movie given that like Marion is estranged from her parents and if she wasn't none of her problems would arise that Harry and Sarah are both like uh, separated by their kind of like divide between them and I think like we mentioned split screen and we're going to come back like i said we come back to split screen like split screen had this huge comeback at the turn of the millennium obviously shows like 24 for example started using it a bit more frequently as well but oh, yeah
1: it, that, that show did use that didn't it <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, yes yes yeah, yes it did um that was almost like the central gimmick of this of that particular show the,
1: there but, was that uh, hulk movie as well at the
0: ang lee which yeah. uses it to recreate comic book panels as well and like What's interesting about this is obviously split-screen, you know, very influential technique in the history of cinema. Brian De Palma had been using it for, like, decades at this point. I mean, I I think I heard somebody joke, do you think Brian De Palma, like, watched Requiem for a Dream and was like, you son of a bitch, I never thought about using it for two people in the same room. Like, because Ebert in his review of it, where he calls, like, the movie a travelogue into hell, is like, I have watched movies for four decades And I have never seen the innovation that Baranowski has here, which is using split screen to show two characters in the same physical space, but in different conversations so obviously at the very start you have the divide between obviously harry and sarah where he's robbing the apartment like one of the great shots where she closes the door and all of a sudden they're on two separate halves of the screen even though they're conversing directly with each other and the way in which they're lit where she's lit in blue and he's hit gr- lit in green so mm. it's very much like they are in their separate worlds like later on you have the conversation between uh, harry and marion where they're lying in bed, stroking and caressing and touching each other and talking about how much they love each other. Is and Marian- someone's belly button? <laughs> is it?
1: Is that, is that Jared Leto's belly button? Or, or, or was-
2: Jennifer Connelly's belly button? I think button. so. I can't remember exactly, but yeah, yeah probably.
1: But, yeah. I, will, like, I rewinded <laughs> that like, <laughs> like well, three or four times.
0: I'm glad that that's the moment you rewound. What is that? (laughs) Andrew going frame by frame through certain sections of the movie. Um, But yeah, no, like, like the thing is they're in, they're having this conversation with each other, but they're not, they're having conversations with themselves pretty much Mm -hmm. where she's relying on him for external validation, but that's never going to be enough for her. That's never going to provide her with what she needs uh, because she's not really talking to him. And again, the thing that happens throughout the movie where, these characters all exist in different worlds and they all have different colors and different shadings where like Sarah like is dominated by the red with the red hair and the red dress. Harry is like the sickly green kind of heroine, kind of like the pale tang. Marion becomes this kind of blue mellow shade. So they become like they're in four perfect blue might one say. Yes, we're going to come. Okay, fine. Well, let's talk about that but now no. no then. Andrew, keep, keep going, keep going, keep going. <laughs> um, no, I also oh, haven't internet. seen Perfect Blue, so I can't you, talk about you it. You also haven't seen... You. Okay, okay. But yes, that is a... What Richard is alluding to there is that, yes, the sequence in which Marion comes home and sits in the bathtub and screams with her head underwater is lifted from the anime movie Perfect Blue. Um, and Aronofsky was a big fan. He has acknowledged that. Um, he had, like, dinner with the director when mm-hmm. it came out and they had a conversation. He's described as, like, one of the best, like, accomplishments of his career is the fact that being famous let him have dinner with this director one well, time
1: people have used that as a stick to beat him with i think uh, the fact that it references the anime isn't yeah it? yeah like, like like as if as if aronofsky isn't aware of or or as if he did mm. it surreptitiously. Yeah, as opposed yeah. to like
0: overtly and acknowledging the yeah.
1: influence of this.
0: Stuff.
2: But wasn't the big argument more recently that, well, yes, he like lifted those shots one for one, but that was like more of an homage that seemingly yeah. Black Swan's plot is like almost beat for beat Perfect Blue and that was a bigger kind of <laughs> is this a plagiarism kind of issue, but I don't know. Yeah,
0: But I, th- I think like when you've acknowledged the influence in one, mm. one aspect of your work, you're not necessarily, but be- I think like if it's like I love Perfect Blue and your next movie looks like Perfect Blue, unless you explicitly say it's not Perfect Blue, I think you're kind of off the hook on that one. I think it's like, yeah, there's it's a, kind of like a shrug, <laughs> like a, because like, I'd never seen anybody ask him that and him go, nope, um,
1: <laughs> entirely original idea. I can, <laughs> I can understand though, if the maker of Perfect Blue is a bit annoyed about it. Oh no, he apparently. No, like they're probably not, but no, like yeah. I can understand if they were. What I can't understand is somebody getting upset in that person's behalf like um... have you seen the internet or been familiar with the internet
0: but but yeah like you have this idea they're all living separate dreams and again that's the thing about the finale of the movie which is this idea where like you go from using split screen to cutting rapidly between the the kind of four overlapping plots and you have like overlapping sound and there are various points where it's difficult Mm. to tell like which characters are speaking when so like you know again during the ass to ass scene which is kind of like it's become so much of a meme it's hard to talk about (laughs) it's hard to talk about how like graphic and unsettling and nightmares it is is without as andrew said ass to ass
1: i would say Um, that it personally i think it's not the ass to assness of that 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 (laughs) that scene that, that 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 makes it upsetting um it's the other things happening, <laughs> like that is being 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 edited in with it. I could, 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 I mean, it's also Jennifer I, Connelly's facial expression. Like, can I? I, think- can I yeah, yeah. She, she she she's not having a great time. She 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 is really delighted when she gets the heroin at the end. Can I say, like, um. For for for,
0: for I love small, that, Andrew, I love is, that Andrew's like does Marion have a happy ending? Question. <laughs> uh,
2: yes. <laughs> um, I, 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 mean, I it I, seems the least bad of all she, of my yes, if she, we're like qualifying. She,
1: she, she is. She is like random at the end of Train Spotting. She, <laughs> She's only one not in
2: hospital in some yeah, ways, so yeah. I guess that kind of is a win. And,
1: and can I say as well that, that um, it, um <laughs> it 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 puts double. uh edge dildos and just like butt <laughs> stuff in general in a in a in
3: is this like
0: is this like the in, army hammer is being used to shame the btsm community like, is this, <laughs> like double-ended dildos no, and ass play never did anything to anybody it, they're innocent victims here
1: yeah yeah <laughs> it, it it it's kind of like um no, and I don't know if Aronofsky is trying to say that this is like um inherently degrading. He's a very right, religious um, man, so probably Yeah, I, I feel I feel like he is. I feel I feel like there's some judgment about like people who I, who I feel in, like it's in, more in women being forced into was,
0: that for the amusement of a male audience that is throwing cash and shoving cash into their mouths.
2: I feel like I these, will say though about that scene that like <laughs> okay. the one thing that slightly bugs me at the end of it um is that when she I know what Andrew's saying, Though she <laughs> she almost gets a happy ending, like not quite, but in the sense that, <laughs> no, that wasn't Dublin Tandra. Um, in the sense that like when she gets back to her apartment Double with the heroines of like she almost <laughs> looks relieved and kind of happy. And it's like, yes. it does feel like the film is almost judging her for that a little bit. And it it does sort of feel like, I don't know, that did also slightly twig something in my brain as watching it.
0: I mean, yes. I, I do also think um, that it's notable that like Harry is the only one who gets like an ounce of sympathy from anyone. Like, weirdly Mm. enough, I think, like, Tyrone, despite being the only person who survives in body and mind, gets the worst end, the worst deal of this, in that he is a black man Mm. in a southern prison, subject to racism, and, like, he's probably going to- How
1: explicit is that? They call him the N-word.
0: They they use the N-word to describe him. And they talk about how yeah you're like dope fiend kind of n words and all this sort of stuff Mm. and uh, did did they call him boy? I'm not entirely. I think they might. I think it was kind of like
1: in that in that scene. And then I was expecting there would be kind of like the 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 level of kind of like climax to him suffering from that sort of racism. And I feel that he doesn't get that kind of means that. uh, Tyrone is kind of done dirty a little bit because I, 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 yes, yes, in that scene, the 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 racism is quite explicit, but but I I I think then you just kind of see scenes of him in prison, like having a a, a rubbish time, and what it's mean, not as clear um how he's. I mean, he's, he's from washing racism. like a
2: white cotton-like substance. I think he's smashing potatoes,
1: but yeah, was
2: that potatoes? I was like doing laundry or something. Okay. I, it, it
1: feel I didn't like he it was. was he was mixing glue of something. <laughs> but like it's and, a real Rorschach test. Yeah. <laughs> <It's laughs> like, yeah. uh,
0: sorry, but like, but, like yeah. uh, but I okay. Well, what I what I would say to that though is like I think it's very telling that like both Tyrone and Harry are kind of arrested in the south, mm. and Tyrone gets sent to prison for bringing his friend to hospital for needing an amputation. Whereas It's
2: very unclear why they're arrested. I know um, apart from like racism, but I was like, what's the actual like okay. literal reason you for are, it? Yeah. Okay, there
0: are there are two reasons. The first Heroine. one is first one's from the book. What, sorry? Heroin. Well no, they don't have any on. They haven't picked any yeah, up from exactly. the South yet. They haven't picked it up yet. They haven't even got there. The two two reasons
1: didn't bring the, any with them. Oh okay. Minute,
0: <laughs> the the first the first one is uh in the film Driving itself. Wild black yeah okay well Yes. that's that's the third reason (laughs) um but the the first reason that the film provides is like after tyrone is arrested in new york city after the hit on marlon you get the line from harry where it's like you're on probation so if if he left new york he was leaving having violated his probation in the book it's more explicitly racist he's arrested for vagrancy uh like it's very explicit that it's like no he's just a black man that, we don't like
1: That's the problem I had with this is is that it, even though yes I I accept that there there is that kind of scene we like it's intercut with the ECT the ass the amputation and him kind of like vomiting like because mm. he's working hard but the, And also
0: going through withdrawal
1: Yeah and going through withdrawal but I I I I think they could have pushed the 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 racism kind of more if they, they, they like the book did um to 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 kind of have it at the same pitch yeah. as uh um as, as the other I'll, I'll, although mm. although although like like I, th- I i i have a problem with the with the ass to ass stuff because <laughs>
0: Kind of like, that is like we drifted away from the important issue
1: um, like it demonizes kind of like the, the... okay i don't think it de- i think it more demonizes no, the no, idea no, no, of no, like no. drug addicted
0: they, they... women being forced to perform for the pleasure of men right um on the basis of their addiction like i don't I don't think like the i don't think even like pro-sex work people will be like yeah big tim is an icon in our community he's really Can a model to which we aspire the other
1: problem with that is that keith david is just too charming too cool. he's, 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 that's he's, that, what i was going to say
2: he's... like the ass scene is like, it's not funny, but like that line has obviously become funny in retrospect for memes. <laughs> up, but I think the the underappreciated uh, line in that whole sequence is when he takes out his penis and is like, "I didn't take it out for air." That's a really funny line, and it shouldn't be because he's an awful
0: man, but it's I'm, just very well delivered. I, been... I love that Richard's like, you know, I mean, he's, you know, I'm not saying he's a
1: nice guy, but he's got game. Um, yeah, <laughs> it's Keith David, it's, you know. <laughs> it's Keith David. That's the problem. Is that he's kind of an upgrade um, <laughs> from, like, from, from Jared Leto. Yeah, like,
2: if, 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 I mean, yeah. no disagreements here. So. Yeah, Well I mean we'll but, talk
0: we'll talk
1: about Leto in a moment. But like um
3: like again
0: uh, but, and that that's the thing is where like that's the, one of the allegations of kind of racism against the movie is the presentation of Big Tim where like Marion's big degrading thing isn't the ass to ass Andrew, which we'll get right, we yeah. back to. But the idea that like her her worst fate is have it being forced to perform oral sex on a black man. Yeah, this beautiful um, young white young white woman. woman and yeah. the idea that there's a very obvious kind of racial defiled. yeah But there
1: there 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 is there's a there there definitely is a thread of defilement, kind of in it. That's that feels very kind of, and I, 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 understand. I'm, 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 like <laughs> Andrew I, wants the I, world I... to
0: know he is pro-ass ass.
1: <laughs> I'm not a huge ass ass, <laughs> okay, ass man. Yeah, right. I'm not. <laughs> Uh, but any uh, 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 I, I I just feel that like people people who do enjoy that shouldn't feel ashamed. Of it. I don't
0: but, uh, think that's <laughs> the problem with the scene. I think I, the
1: problem can is, I can like, I tell you another okay, problem I have with okay, the scene? Okay, okay. And okay. this this is something.
0: That, By the way, we need to come back to like the editing of that final montage because there's a point I was going to make. But yes, tell me another thing that you <laughs> yeah, don't, yeah, don't yeah, like about it. Let's get all out of our
1: system now. This one's While I'm on it <laughs> and this is something that lots of movies do is the portrayal of ECT where it's this nightmare kind barbaric of kind barbaric of. scenario mm. um and like I've, I've 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 been in a psychiatric hospital i've i've like shared a room with somebody who's getting ect the reason he was getting ect was because the medicine wasn't working and he he was uh, and ect was working for him and it was he, he, helping um, helping him uh, deal, 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 deal with his problems. I never had ECT, but if I had needed ECT and if it had worked with, for me, I would have went for it because you you, you want to feel better. Um, and in, in this, uh, Sarah is uh, suffering from amphetamine psychosis and um, whatever treatment she's been on isn't working um and they they uh, decide that it's ect but it's always u- that ect is the next um uh course of action but it's always used in movies to to kind of it's the kind of torture scene it's like little weapon or something
0: um i think it's maybe because of the historical like hist- yeah, again the, historically
1: yeah like in, way in and in, in the it, soviet yeah. union yeah especially um but i mean even it, going back to like the 60s and stuff like and again yes, part yeah. part
0: of it's also just like the use of things like the bottomies. like again the fact that these are things are all thrown in together but like I, well, the bottomies were very frequent in the 60s but yeah, this, like
1: this movie is in like 2000 I feel yeah well okay like well okay it, well, and, then. and and and, and in, in fairness to to um Aronofsky's won kind of awards for his uh, like Prisma awards for his portrayal of drugs and also of like mental illness. I think in in um, uh, Black Swan. Um, but yeah, the, it's it's a it's a cliche for me, and it, it kind of um, it tries to um, place uh, electroconvulsive therapy on the same um, on on on. on 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 the so same really, level on, the, the, so as, really, the, as amputation, and say. that is the, um, <laughs> the gratuitous Robocop reference. Because the reason he loses arm is because Bob Morton comes in and he says, "Lose, Lose the, the arm. arm." What do they say? <laughs> Total body prosthesis. Um,
0: by the way, I do like that. According like Andrew's take on Recream for a Dream is that the only really bad thing that happens at the climax is the amputation and even then you can probably make a medically justifiable just a reason for it. Um- yeah, but it,
1: it, it, like like when I was watching the movie I thought like they 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 that that they didn't really it, it was it was kind of like reading um about the book and and the kind of description of it. it it's um it 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 kind of mentions the racism and I kind of forgot about the racism okay. and just saw them kind of working and in withdrawal and like it sucks to be in prison but he's also kind of like my choices have brought me here and it's less about like um i um, well, my, my I'm, choice I'm, to bring I'm my victim... friend to
0: hospital to be clear like that's the thing that does him in if he just dropped him on the side of the road and like been done with him he'd be fine it's the fact no, but
1: that... like him him being on parole i guess as yeah, well but yeah. it it he, he he feels like he's let his mother down rather than rather than kind of um uh, being the victim of racism, which isn't his fault, you know, um, I guess.
0: Well, and, and again, okay, so let, let's just bring it back to that closing montage. And I want to quote the second half of Philip French's two two-paragraph review of this. And this is it. So it's like, the final cross-cutting between a mother undergoing ECT at a New York psychiatric hospital, the son having his gangrenous arm sewn off in a Florida prison, and the girlfriend submitting to painful anal sex at a Long Island orgy is hard to watch and impossible to recommend. And I do love that like, Philip French is like, I'm just gonna spoil the movie. I'm just gonna tell you How the movie ends. The montage there. Back in the day
2: when you could do that without being, you know, piled on online.
0: I do love the idea of, like, Requiem for a Dream Stands, whatever they're called, kind of coming from. But, like, the point I was going to make in terms of editing. So you have, like, throughout the movie, you have the four separate plots, and they all have their four Mm. different color schemes. And even, like, again, split screen while they're in the same shot. The only... Like, it's really notable that the only shot, I think, where the two two main characters are interacting meaningfully and sharing a frame is, like, at the end of Summer, where you have Sarah and Harry. Harry comes to visit Sarah and tells her to yeah. get off the uppers. Um, and, like, they're this close to, like, making an actual connection, but can't. But, like, at the climax, it all just kind of devolves and breaks down, where you have things like the prison guard, who, by the way, is played by uh, Shelby, who's played by the author. He's yelling, he's yelling at like uh, Tyrone saying, get it in there, get in deep, stir it. And you're hearing that like cross cut with the orgy. And like, it takes a moment for you to realize that it's not the men at the orgy shouting that Mm. it's the guy shouting it at Tyrone. Um, And you have like the way in which everything kind of blends together and it all becomes one shared reality among the four of them which I think is just, again, really good filmmaking. So it starts out as four separate stories, and then the climax of the movie through the power of editing and sound mixing turns it into, like, it was four separate dreams, but it's one shared nightmare. Yeah. Uh, Which feels like the movie's, like, most profound statement, is the idea that you have this idea of the American dream, which is this rugged individualism, this idea of... I think Elvis Mitchell described it as the American appetite for something better. You have, like, Hubert Shelby saying, like... The American dream is not only futile but self-destructive because ultimately it destroys everything and everyone involved in it. By definition, it must because it nurtures everything except those things that are important. Integrity, ethics, truth are very heart and soul. Why? The reason is simple. Because life is giving and not getting. Um, And I kind of do think that there's like... I was worried going back to rewatch this that this would be like a drugs bad -um okay movie Um, that it was going to feel like a kind of a a Reagan era just say no Mm. and like again you read online about people who were shown this in school as like a public service like just in case any of you are ever thinking about doing drugs we want you to sit down and watch this movie. (laughs) And, like, coming back to rewatch it, I was anxious about it being that. But I was, like, actually Mm. quite taken with it how much it was about, like, the ruins of the American dream. Like, even that opening sequence where they're carting the television set, like through obviously it's set in Brooklyn but through Coney Island where you have like all the overgrown crops you got the run down roller coasters you got the beat up shacks you got like this sense of an america that's kind of falling apart and nobody any- really believes in anymore and i think as richard said it's that real thing where it's like it's the end of the 90s we've won the cold war the end of history liberal uh-huh. democracy has triumphed um yeah it's like uh it- but it's like, we can afford to feel bad about this stuff now, because it's like, maybe people, you know what the problem is the end of the 90s? People are feeling too good. And it's a sense of like, what next? What, why does it, you know, what do why I want? Why should
1: I do anything?
0: Yeah. Mm. And, like, and like, why can't I have, if, 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 like, if the economy is thriving, if there's no ongoing major wars involving America, if our political opponent doesn't exist, why do I feel bad? Why do I feel incomplete? Why do I feel like I, there's something missing deep inside me? And that's what I, I kind think of another to. like
2: direction on that you could take is and I wouldn't normally have like picked up on this, but because of it being Aronofsky and like every other film that he's made well, most of them having such a heavy like religious bent that this one like not having like having a sense of godlessness almost feels intentional, like
0: especially with. Um, well, God is the absent center, is it? Yeah, like Ellen's character, because
2: <clears throat> again, I was thinking going into it, like, OK, so this is like this is the non-religious movie. And yet it opens up with what is actually like a televangelist.
0: Yeah, uh, and not, preaching
2: no, and like not, a choir,
0: not a, tel- not even that. Like what happens? Oh after no, yeah, he's like selling
2: diet oh, yeah,
0: But it's... no, no, no. But I, I get what you're saying. It's it's a very like it's a it's mass media as religion as worship. Yeah. But after that, think about what happens after that. Like after he takes the television, what happens right before the title drops? You have her talking to Seymour, her dead husband, but it's a prayer, and she's saying, mm. "This isn't happening. And if it should be happening, it will be all right. So don't worry, Seymour." It'll all work out. You'll see already. In the end, it's all nice.
2: Yes, I have that line written down. And
0: it does kind of then have this kind of weird effect of feeling like a parable after that, where it's like, no, this is the destruction of, like, Sodom and Gomorrah, basically. Mm. This is, like, the washing of the world in Noah. Sorry.
2: Yeah, exactly. Mm. And then later on, when she's talking about being on television... She says that she wants to be on te- television so that she can like tell them how great he was. Now, capital not not non capital H E, but <laughs> I was like more. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like a false god. And even like um Jennifer Connolly's ultimate fate feels very much like a biblical kind of these women, if they get their freedoms, they'll just become prostitutes. <laughs> like it does it has that kind of biblical retribution air to it. Like I don't know how intentional that necessarily is, but it did just kind of occur to me as I was watching it. This feels like the kind of the intentionally godless movie that has the sort of in the absence of God or as a like a organizing force or principle it's this which I guess makes sense as like the the American nightmare thing as well as in the absence of good Christian
0: values look what happens <laughs> <Yeah>. to America <laughs> but in the absence of an ordering principle a convenient opponent or something against mm-hmm. which we might define ourselves
1: I think I think as well the, the, the she needs to move out of that house the the site of um her uh trauma because they, yeah. they her her husband was killed when the 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 fridge was like feed me seymour <laughs> feed me <laughs> and um I ate uh, ate seymour
0: well that was that was in the editor's
1: cut by the way the, and it, that was... it, it did make it into little shop of horror
0: <laughs> <laughs> i mean like like we, we should know like again this is the weird paradox of the movie and again this is something that i think um is it tim robbie or guy lodge made the point when he's talking about like the film's 20th anniversary where it's like you know this is a film that kind of like pushes the envelope in terms of it's like from the inside view of addiction and its spiraling consequences but it also maintains a kind of a curiously conservative philosophical perspective that cautiously conservative you know, mm. like cautiously moralizing as any just say no public service announcement which is the thing and again he, i think he's the one who made the point that it's like yeah it's like Uh, Burstein's Fearless Turn hooked this impressively abrasive film an Oscar nomination it never would have received in any other category and with it, an older audience that probably wouldn't have considered seeing the film about three young damn smackheads. It probably surprised them as much as it did any student-age punters drawn in by the voguish, subversion-promising marketing. Uh, The cinematic heroine nightmare for the whole family wasn't anywhere to be seen on that poster, but it wouldn't have been far off. But it is, like, it's weird how it feels. It does feel almost, again, like a kind of a not reef. reefer madness is probably a bit unfair to compare this mm. to something like reefer madness well, but it... It,
1: it, it is relatable to like an older person kind of that that, that that like i i uh i i guess in my like 20s and early 30s found like that like putting on loads of weight and then losing it was really easy <laughs> and, now, and now now it's becoming less kind of um it's becoming more of a challenge i'm like "Hold up, what um but um but yeah the the and 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 and, and that the older you get the more of a, a kind of a difficulty that becomes and and you and and the the more of your youth is kind of behind you you know and and that you're trying to kind of you know, look, look good again. Yeah. <laughs> <You're> slowly <laughs> starting to look like garbage. Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
0: um, <laughs> but like, and, and again, like, this is again just to talk a little bit about the kind of like that contrast that we mentioned, where like the content of it is, as Andrew said, very conservative, very old fashioned. It feels like it could be a PSA in some way, shape, or form. As we mentioned, like it being shown in schools to very impressionable teens who hopefully never touched any drugs afterwards. If this has any value, um, we do hope that they, if they wanted to engage and ask to ask, I guess is the message of this <laughs> podcast. We hope they didn't feel any stigma accruing from that. Um, but I, I, it's kind of interesting how, on the other hand, you have that that extreme of kind of youth and vitality to the movie where again mm-hmm. it's something that is it's a very maximalist kind of movie where like there's some absurd statistic where like most movies that run two hours have like 600 uh individual shots this has like 2000 individual shots and it runs about an hour and 40 minutes yeah uh, where there's something absurd like there's 30 cuts in the first or sorry there's something like 30 cuts in the first minute and a half like after the credits um and it, like it conveys information like really quickly really fast but it's kind of one of the big divides when the movie came out, and I wonder if this is like the movie's kind of legacy perhaps being a bit more divisive than it seemed it would be at the time, where you have this backlash against Aronofsky, where there's this pushback against it as a maximalist kind of spectacle, where even at the time you had people complaining about like Bernstein's kind of nomination, where like Stephen Farber uh, in the Los Angeles Times was saying, you know, of all the performances I've seen this year, Ellen Burstein's may maybe the most staggering And I don't mean that as a compliment. Everything about this performance is shrill, overbearing, and sadly misconceived. And a sense in which, like, that was a criticism that was leveled at all of the movie, where, like, Nathan Rabin is like, I don't know if this was the best editing of, like, 2000, but it was the most editing. (laughs) And it kind of establishes the sense which this is, again, it's so loud, and it's so in your face, and it's so abrasive like is there a sense in which this was like vogue for the early 2000s and is now kind of dated perhaps poorly or perhaps is something that's kind of like a dangling around a weight around the movie's neck is that fair to say maybe
2: i think maybe a little bit like i i definitely my memory of it was that it was very slick and cool and also horrifying and upsetting but then on the rewatch i i definitely did find it more overpowering and overwrought than i remembered it like i think that the editing especially and the the sort of nightmare version of asmr that is the sound design is is quite upsetting and like spiky and it's it's not as fun as i remember it being and i think like a good modern comparison would be something like euphoria which is very similar in terms of a drugs are bad but also drugs are cool young people are sexy on every kind of thing and like that editing is probably owes a debt to this but yet doesn't in my brain feel as grating i think it's right just like the 2000s sensibilities of it like it's not that that, yeah. that editing style doesn't work anymore as much as the aesthetic of it is slightly changed now or something i don't know
1: i feel there was a lot of it wasn't there like i i'm thinking of spaced i think used it in a kind of like a a, a clever sort of like pastiche way mm. the, the 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 simon Peg kind of um but I mean, even
0: when we like uh, cover TV superhero show. movies from that era, like say Catwoman, for example, Right. or like I think when we talked about like was a Blood Rain, was that like another example of it where it has? I think was a Billie Jean described it as like I can't remember what it was, but that like Naughty's feel of something, and mm. it's like is this but, the prestige good version of that?
1: Yeah, no, not not no, not 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 that. Okay. I am I, I, I'm, I'm thinking of of um didn't the fifty first state. Oh, it's portrayal of drug A, a yeah. lot of kind of like this sort of. Um, did they have a lot of that kind of fast editing or kind of like people explaining things? <laughs> um, where they, I, 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 think that was the thing that a lot of movies would do that this didn't do, where they would, they would, they like would, break
0: the fourth wall.
1: Yeah, 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 exactly. Sorry, but 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 but, but use, using kind of like similar techniques but different, I guess.
0: And. Uh, Just to speak kind of very briefly in defense of those montages and and of the editing, I think one of the things that the movie doesn't get enough credit for is using the editing to control the pacing. Because, you know, we obviously we talk about like the maximalism, the the kind of rapid number of cuts. Mm -hmm. But I think Aronofsky is very, very good at kind of like acclimatizing the audience kind of to that so that he's able to manipulate their expectations uh, kind of in accordance with that. So, for example, the shooting up sequences, you know, where you get like the... The pop of the pill bottle opening, for example, the kind of like the reaction of the endorphins running through the blood, the dilation of the eye. You know, when that first happens, it's like, bam, it's this incredibly a powerful thing. But as the movie goes on, it becomes like a lot quicker, a lot faster. Yeah. And you get this idea that maybe the high is kind of slowing, which is a very effective visual and emotional way of communicating that, which I think the movie gets away with through its editing. And you also get, and I think kind of Richard alluded to this, the idea that like, it's not just the fast stuff, but it's the fast stuff works because it then contrasts with kind of the slower stuff. Mm. So for example, that sequence where they take the television and they pawn the television, that's all done in kind of quick quick cuts, intense close-ups, and then kind of back to wide shots. There's no medium shots, you're kind of disoriented in there. And it all happens very, very quickly, where a few of those shots last longer than a second or two. But then immediately after shooting up, You get this like really extended kind of wide angle bird's eye lens of Tyrone kind of dancing in slow motion to the trippy house music. And that shot lasts for 30 seconds, which is the longest that I think a single shot has lasted in the movie to that point. And it's really disconcerting because it kind of, it slows you down and it feels really weird. And there's a lot of that stuff, you know, where the movie will suddenly slow down and it has this big dramatic effect because the rest of the movie's been moving so fast. I'm thinking, for example, of like Jared Leto kind of sitting at the bar on Coney Island, the camera just staring at his face as he gazes into middle distance. And all that stuff is only really effective because, you know, of of the maximalism stuff that we kind of, we talked about already. Um... Yeah. And I mean... Just, okay, because I think when you mentioned you wanted to talk about this, Richard, you singled out a particular actor who you thought would be interesting to discuss in the context of this movie. Did I? I don't remember this. You Come did. <laughs> you said, I think you described the Geroletta, Jared Leto of it all would be interesting to discuss. It's a me,
3: Jared Leto.
1: It's a Paolo. <laughs> uh, <laughs> he, he's great at
3: accents
1: yeah just, like, <laughs> this my, is bad right like his accent in in this is not good correct it's a
3: bit well it's like it it's
1: the
2: overall yeah exactly it fits the overall nature of it all but it does feel very false yeah it, it feels like an actor doing a very much a performance of an accent
1: Ma,
0: why you gotta make ma. me feel so bad ma
2: I will say on the Geraldito of it all, this one I guess in some ways completes the trilogy, uh, but also in a not good way. Like as Geraldito has gotten to be more and more of a toxic, unlikable figure in recent years, I think people, myself included, take some joy in the fact that you know Fight Club and American Psycho feature scenes of horrible things happening to him. And this one should continue that trend, but it's not fun here.
3: <laughs>
2: I don't enjoy seeing his arm go gangrenous from heroin addiction. That's not enjoyable the same way like Fight Club is.
0: Between you and Andrew, you have basically made an argument that the ending of this movie is actually really uplifting. Whether you enjoy <laughs> double-led dildo play, or maybe you hey, think there. that you know, cleaning up in prison I'm... would be good, <laughs> electroshock therapy isn't necessarily as demonized as it is, or you just enjoy seeing Jared Leto suffer. This movie has something for it everybody
2: (laughs) um all the sociopaths
0: in the family yeah um but like again uh, worth noting this will be of no surprise to anybody we mentioned at the start of this podcast like all the old actors had really good time working with aronofsky they described as one of the most fun sets they had ever worked on it will be of nobody's surprise to determine the two actors of whom that is maybe not true Uh, first of all marlon wyans apparently when he was filming this was like no i'm i'm not gonna lose any weight for this role Um, i'm not going to physically change myself in any way for this i'm just going to perform it he said that aronofsky asked him to take off his shirt and walk around new york in winter in order to get a sense of what it would feel like to be a drunk junkie and he's like no i already know how cold new york is in winter i'm not going
1: to correct answer yeah Yeah, it (laughs) is.
0: whereas like first of all like then you have the argument that like you have this young cast where all three of them are kind of proving
1: themselves. So Leto wanted to prove that he he could stay out longer in the snow, <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and he was annoyed why. that it was just going to be him. Yeah. yeah, he
2: had the cast bring like bits of snow to him to just like walk around on set yeah. and go to the bathroom with.
0: Yeah, well, that, that's that's why the the amputation wasn't originally in the script, but it's just that apparently he spent so much time out in the snow with his hand buried in it that uh, yeah. Um, he used
1: to give, give people on the set gifts like he he'd put he'd put snow <laughs> down. Brian <laughs> Wayne's jumper. Yeah. Some use needles and yeah, now yeah, yeah, again exactly. to <laughs> But <laughs> cool guy. But like <laughs>
0: all, all three of the young cast members arguably had something to prove where Wyans was like again, primarily known as a kind of a comedian at that point and would go back to doing
1: kind he's of comedy. So quite up. a good comedian, right? I, I haven't He's quite seen funny this in stuff. this even, I think,
2: oh,
0: oh he's I think he I think he's really good here. I think he's somewhat like yeah. I think a lot of the discussion of the other three cast members overshadows the extent to which he's really good, mm, despite mm-hmm. arguably getting considerably less. I,
1: yeah I, I think he gets a sh- kind of short uh, stick. Yeah.
0: Um, but it, like he was, again, you know, he was a comedian trying to break into a dramatic role. I think that Aronofsky had wanted he Dave gonna Chappelle. He was
1: going to be Batman. Uh, sorry, Robin. He was going to be Robin. He was going to be Robin.
0: yeah. yeah. Be Robin. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. But like uh, Aronofsky wanted Dave Chappelle for this and apparently could not convince Dave Chappelle to do it. So apparently Wyans got for the best. the best in hindsight, <laughs> Probably the best. Um, it feels like a Dave Chappelle show sketch would probably fit in quite neatly here.
1: <laughs> I feel, I, I, I think like... How we felt about, uh, like, Dave Chappelle in the kind of early 2000s is kind of <laughs> different to how we feel, feel about him now. Possibly. Oh, yes, yeah, of, yeah, course. Yeah. of
0: course. Um, <laughs> Still. But also, also like, Wyans Wy- apparently got the role by not showering for three days before he went to his audition. Apparently, Omar X okay. was like, are you Okay. Like, that was apparently, like, the level that it got to. But that was as bad as it got for Wayans. Wayans otherwise, apparently he had a great time on set. All the other cast members, like, he was amazing. All the production team were like, as soon as, like, Aronofsky yelled cut, Wayans would be like, I'm going to crack some jokes and lighten the mood Mm. here. And everybody's kind of laughing and having fun. And it's a wonderful time on this horrible, horrible drug movie. It will probably surprise nobody to discover that uh, his two co-stars, Jared Leto and uh, uh, Jennifer Connelly, less less uh, of the kind of like fun times on set um leto really wanted this uh, in part because he was a television actor he started in like my so-called life and he saw this as a chance to break out and talking about how hard he had to sell himself to aronofsky he felt like aronofsky wasn't convinced that he could do it um and that he felt like he had to like go that extra mile and you could argue maybe aronofsky created leto because Leto was like, I'm gonna starve myself for this. I'm gonna mm-hmm. like stay strictly mm-hmm. in character to prove I'm not just a television actor. Apparently, Aronofsky was horrified when this. I feel, I, I feel
1: this... like himself and Shia LaBeouf are, 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 are very similar kind of yeah. guys in terms of like this Artists. this and kids. <laughs> and they 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 both always feel like they they have this big kind of like point to prove, and that they want mm. to kind of like show how kind of serious and
0: they're real Um, actors they're to be taken seriously and like like again like he he lived on like cabbage soup he he emaciated himself and like again like wyans has talked about how weird it was kind of like watching that (laughs) and just like being like no you just act that's how that's how you do it jared (laughs) um and and like obviously like conley who had been also a child actor um like going back to like once upon a time in hollywood sorry go back to once upon a time in america uh, and obviously, yeah, Labyrinth and stuff like that. She was like, I want to be taken seriously. She spent a lot of the 90s trying to be taken seriously in stuff like, say, Dark City, for example. Stuff like, is it Mulholland Falls? The Nick Nolte movie? I think she started in mm. three movies with the 250s uh, favorite Nick Nolte. Um, <laughs> friend of the podcast, Nick Nolte. But... um chips. <laughs> but, uh, like, and it's kind of interesting because apparently, perhaps surprising nobody who's listening to this podcast, the indication is that... Um, Conley and Leto maybe didn't gel on set oh. in the way that you would want them to. Um, I the, can see that. The I don't casting, think they have
1: um, on-screen chemistry.
0: The casting director it, there's an oral history from Vulture that's well worth reading. The casting director very diplomatically uh, describes their um, audition process where the two of them auditioned opposite each other and it's like yeah Conley threw him around the room like he was a chair. Yeah. Um, <laughs> That's apparently what their audition process was like, where it was like, everyone was like, no, Conley is a force of nature. Uh, Leto is is a guy. Um, And he had to go through several more layers. But like out of that audition, they're like, no, Conley is the one to watch. And they'd say that like, it was interesting. And again, this is one of those nerdy film things where it's like, Conley like again in the 2000s there was this big divide even in in the 90s 2000s between film and television actors where it was like if you were in television you were in television if you were in film you were in film Mm -hmm. and they're very different crafts and techniques and like the editors and cinematographers would talk about how getting Leto and Conley to play off one another and this ties back to Andrew's comment about their lack of chemistry getting them to play off one another in a scene was very difficult because Leto was a television actor which is like Quick, 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 he's a musician, quick! Musician, Darren. Oh, he's an artist uh, and <laughs> he's also a cult some, leader. <laughs> yeah, somebody who's in people's DMs who are probably far too young for him to be in their yeah. DMs. Um, there are lots of things that Jared Leto is, but for the purposes of this anecdote, Andrew, <laughs> he, is, he is a TV actor, and a TV actor is very much like out of the gate, bam, because you got to wrap it quickly. You got seven days. You got to turn around. You got to do seven days again, and you got to release something at the end of it. So they'd say that yeah, Leto like. His strongest take was always, like, take one or take two. Because after that, he was just exhausted and spent. Whereas Conley was more of kind of, like, a racehorse, where it was like, oh, no, I've done film. And she'd, like, peek around, like, you know, take four, sorry, take seven or take eight. Mm. And it's, like, what they found was that, like, in order to get that to work, they Aronofsky had to, like, end up compromising That's and, like, great. take... <laughs> split screen yes that may, that, that, screen, that actually probably is a contributing factor to <laughs> yeah. the use of split screen it's like we don't really have a good take with both of them in the scene together um, but there he would have
1: scenes which are Leto and another person <laughs> yeah <laughs> um,
0: but he'd have to like he'd have to it's basically very say compromise and take partner. like take three or yeah. take four where it'd be like okay they're at a comparable level of energy between the two here and it's quite interesting because like all the cast members talk about the movie fondly Leto talks about the movie very fondly Connolly seems somewhat a bit more conflicted about her work on the film where like like when she's doing kind of like interviews about her career and particularly about that transition that actors kind of make from being seen as like a child actor to being seen as an adult actor. When you mention Requiem for a Dream, she'll go, actually, I think that the really important movie in my career from the year 2000 is uh, Keith Gordon's Waking the Dead. That's the movie that really allowed me to stretch my range as an actor and to prove that I was capable of this stuff. Um, and she talked about how, like, when she finished filming the movie, she had to go to Costa Rica for, like, six months to kind of, like, just clear it out of her head to do, like, a soft reboot, basically. Yeah. Um, And kind of uh, come out of being in the movie. But it's kind of interesting that, again, that, like, Conley is, is the actor who who maybe doesn't have the fondest memory of this i guess again it's probably one suspects without knowing for sure and it's worth reading the vulture article about like they do have a whole section on yes the ass to ass scene but that was shot without say intimacy coordinators and stuff like that and everybody's like Mm. everybody was very professional on that set um those guys were really timid and really embarrassed the the wall street brokers were apparently like mice uh when it came to shooting that scene um somewhat reassuring (laughs) um but yeah you maybe like it, again it kind of it is an interesting kind of contrast between the two but is there anything kind of you want to say just about the cast about like that that for the chronos the quartet or the requiem quartet intimacy
1: is coordinator is 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 a new job that like um there you're you're now have, having um guidance counselors
3: say, <laughs> we
1: thought about being an intimacy coordinator
0: you have the right vibe for that. Yeah. <laughs> Easy there, Sean Bean. Um, <laughs> but, uh, sorry, don't to date the podcast. I beg your pardon. <laughs> but, uh, sorry, but yeah, just in terms of particularly like Leto and kind of Conley and, and maybe kind of like, what, what's um, your take on the cast? Like, is it a, is it a strong cast? I
2: think definitely the strong guy, I and mean, this is definitely the first thing I saw Lito, Leto. Whatever you pronounce the name. Sorry, as. that's uh, my dad. I'm I'm confused. I don't know. I'm never sure if it's Leto or Leto. I always defer to Leto, but you could be right, with Leto. I don't know.
0: I, I don't feel um, comfortable calling him Jared. I feel comfortable calling her <laughs> Ellen, but I don't feel like I'm on. on... No, Jared isn't
2: here. Count, right.
1: Count Leto. <laughs> uh,
0: <laughs> um, but
2: yeah, I think I remember for many years after this, like considering him like a really good actor and like just someone that was a very good, strong screen presence before the the weirdness started. She you up a Suicide Squad, probably I was like, I thought that was a great casting for Joker, even when I first heard about it. And then in hindsight, maybe less so. But um, yeah, I think Connolly, despite her apparent troubles on set, acquitted herself very well. Bernstein's obviously very good. Uh, Wayne, as we like said, is like unsung in many ways, but I think definitely brings a lot of necessary levity to scenes where he can. <laughs> um, you know, I think the cast, I think that, that's probably one of the few elements that doesn't hasn't aged badly apart from leto's accent as we said uh whereas like i think the editing and stuff is overall
0: i think kind of works in terms of like yeah but even the accent i think works like as as in terms of like the tone of the piece
2: you know it fits the tone yeah for sure um you know in the cast it has remained a fairly solid part of the overall enterprise
0: and we should note by the way that like conley won the best actress or best supporting actress oscar the following year for her work on a beautiful mind Which therefore again kind of solidifies her as Mm. an adult actress who is worth taking seriously. Whereas Leto has to work much longer um, to get his uh, his Dallas Buyers Club award. Oh God, I know (laughs) it's just a cavalcade of hits. Like I feel like that's that's not revisited that one yet. (laughs) I feel like that's the kind of like the montage at the end of the movie is they just play Jared Leto performances (laughs) like just cross cut with one another. Um, We should also.
2: And victory specifically like as the strings rise on the luxa turna you get that shot from gucci of him with the open mouth with the said the car horn is just the luxa turna <laughs>
0: um, we should we should mention actually just in terms of like uh, bursting and and kind of her performance here as well where like There was something of a renaissance for older actresses around this time as well. So obviously, like, you had this, but you had, like, The Yards, uh, which also starred her the same year. That's James Gray's movie. You had Dr. T and the Women, the Richard Gere vehicle. And you had basically, like, people like Farrah Fawcett, Faye Dunaway, and Shelley Long all getting kind of late career renaissances. And you could argue that, like, Meryl Streep at this point, this is where Meryl Streep becomes an older stage presence where she goes from mm. doing things like the river wild in the nineties and then kind of like goes and becomes like the iron lady where it's and judy dench obviously coming off the back of shakespeare in love becomes another one of these beloved old ladies of cinema and stuff like that and it's kind of interesting that you a lot of people point to something like requiem for a dream or this moment as one of those and like one of the arguments that burstein makes and again it's, it's kind of like worth talking about in terms of aronofsky is that like the reason for that is because the directors of these movies uh would have grown up watching her movies in the 70s movies like say the last picture show or movies like the exorcist for example in fact mm. she she notes that like the exorcist got a re-release the same time as requiem for a dream mm. yeah. Um, And it's very much like, yeah, no, this is a filmmaker who has been kind of inspired by kind of 70s cinema. And you have like Elvis Mitchell pointing out that like a lot of this stuff, like a lot of this movie could be seen as a spiritual successor to like the loser drug or movies of the 70s, like Born to Win, Panic in Needle Park, or like The Night of the Following Day, for example. And the idea that like, I think even Aronofsky himself, and again, there's a wonderful bit of shade uh, from like the New York Times like profile or the LA Times profile of him working on this movie, which feels like it's aged remarkably well. I think the greatest thing I've ever had the honor of being involved in is capturing her performance in Requiem for a Dream, says Aronofsky, who's directed only one other film. <laughs> <laughs> when I rapped with Ellen, I told the crew that few people get to play with Michael Jordan every day and that's how I felt. Like a high school basketball coach being schooled because she came to the set and flooded my lens with love. And Bernstein has talked about how like working with Aronofsky was a dream because he was, and again, this is the thing where you have the, the image of Aronofsky as this kind of like auteur, par- self-parody, like Javier Bardem in mother figure. And what you actually hear about people who work with him or some of the people who work with him, uh, which is this idea of Burstein being like, no, he was incredibly collaborative. Things like she she brought her longtime hairdresser, Paul LeBlanc, to the set and he was responsible for the orange hair dye like image motif. And that was an idea that she had. And apparently Aronofsky kind of looked at it and was like, yeah, go for it. That's it. Yeah. No, as soon as Ar- Darren saw them, he said, go do it, which I kind of like, I kind of like, it gives the sense of somebody who is open to being collaborative in a way that you don't always associate auteurs as being. Um, is there anything else you want to talk about with regards to the movie? Anything we haven't jumped out? You said you had like seven pages of notes on Aronofsky's <laughs> His whole end. filmography though. Yeah.
2: Um, one, one tiny thing that I kept noticing was uh, obviously Mark Margolis has cameos in yeah. almost all of his films, except conspicuously the two films with female leads. I'm not sure if that's just because the production of those two films lines up with Breaking Bad and Bear Call Saul effectively probably being filming. But I was like, hmm, I wonder is there a, a more of a point to that than just pure production issues but i was like hmm interesting
0: well, one of the things and well, again again it is worth noting that his appearance in noah's voiceover work which didn't require yes, him to yeah, be on yeah. set which would kind it's of fit of with rock that monsters. like monsters yeah rock monster again with, with 250 friend podcast nick nolte um <laughs> again that is the third movie that he made with jennifer connelly just to put that in context um but it is it is worth noting like he does have this production policy, and again it's something i actually really like it
1: perfectly cast as a rock monster yeah
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, no, that that that's it. Like, uh, Aronofsky's kind of talked about how the design of the Fallen came. I was clearing
1: Liz- my throat earlier on, and I was like, "Oh, people are going to think that I'm Nick doing Nolte's Nick making it Nolte. here." <laughs> <curious. laughs>
0: yeah. Um, he he does have a following on Twitter. The two fifty friend of the podcast, Nick Nolte, has a following on Twitter. Um, what? But-
1: no, that's wrong. No, 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 no. Backing out of it. Um.
0: <laughs> but but like again, like Aronofsky's talked. I think about how the design of those creatures. To Andrew's point, like Andrew made a joke. But Aronofsky's talked about how the design of those creatures came in part from listening to Nick Nolte's like (laughs) aural performance and being like, what, what, what creature could generate that noise? Hmm. And it's like, oh, I, I know, I know what could do that um and look I do like that he has a production posse like obviously like Stephen McHattie pops up I think in he pops up in Mother but he pops up in The Fountain and stuff like that Bernstein comes back as like a thank you for getting me an Oscar nom in The Fountain for example Uh, like I really really like that stuff Um, like there's like and again Conley like for all that we talked about like Conley maybe being a bit more tepid on this film Mm. than some of the other actors she comes back for Noah uh, which is arguably somewhat even thankless like a more thankless role uh, in that like there is you know there's nothing there um no
2: i like kermode's observation that like noah as a central character is thoroughly unlikable it's only kind of through Connolly's performance that there's some kind of in or some kind of way of viewing him in some way that isn't as a sociopathic like monster like that's probably true so again it's quite thankless but it's it's it's, it's <laughs> it important and it trusts her
0: um i mean <laughs> yeah. i do like that the reading of this means that like the end of the movie is that like connelly is giving us permission to like heroin when she holds heroin in her hand and smiles at it that's the audience's in to like heroin it's like no maybe heroin's not so bad look at how jennifer conley looks at it find somebody who looks at you like jennifer conley looks at heroin um in terms of just other stuff now,
1: yeah now, now she's gotten rid of harry right?
0: <laughs> harry's the bad influence i like that this is a happy ending really andrew's like she gets to involve in double-ended dildo play without any <laughs> shame uh she gets heroin which is what she clearly wants harry who's a bad influence is out of her oh, life I, possibly I, for he's, good.
1: he's harmless.
0: He's armless. I like that. He's... <laughs> uh, sorry. Uh, don't get out of joint bed. Well, I mean,
2: when he was rather a heroin addiction or a loveless lifetime marriage, uh, Jared leto it's, it's hard to hard to really <laughs> Which say. Which is preferable worse?
1: Can yeah. I can I say that the the bit about the arm and it's like oh you really ought you should really really should get that arm looked at? It just made me like anxious about everything, and I'm not a very <laughs> anxious person. <laughs> But I'm, I'm I, I I, was like, oh, I need to update my tax credits. Oh, the, the, what about that blinking light on the car? Like, <laughs> what if it gets gangrene? Yeah. What, what if that blinking light in the car gets gangrene? I'll just cover what, what it I, over with black marker. Oh, no, it's fine. Uh, what? What, if um,
0: what? What if my NCT is being done by uh, like Doc Connors from uh, Dylan Baker? He looks at me really judgmentally. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, but but seriously, <laughs> I, I I just felt like terrible, and I, I'm like I'm a complete fraud. <laughs> I, I can't do anything right, and eventually I'm going to be found out, and, and I I I need to do something about this gangrene. In this arm that I have, um, even though I don't know like, what it is, ignoring it isn't going isn't going to work. I mean, work.
0: It's, it's also worth. The, I think we kind of alluded to it, but the idea that like Harry's the only one of them that gets any real sympathy at the end of the movie, where like the mm. nurse is like, "Oh, she'll come and visit you. People will come and visit you." Um, and it's like, I guess, I suppose you could argue um, that like Sarah gets it as well from her friends. Uh, yeah, it's uh, also worth noting that one of Sarah's friends is played by uh, Marcia Jean Kurtz. Uh, who is kind of like something of a kind of a cult figure among kind of 70s movie fans. Uh, She had a prominent role in Dog Day Afternoon as Miriam Douglas, who was the bank teller. Mm. And after this, she kind of gets cycled back into um, Aronofsky's kind of pool of regulars. She appears in she goes on to appear in like The Wrestler, uh, in Black Swan, uh, in Mother as well. And again, that kind of speaks to the, the reclamation of kind of 70s cinema by this generation of uh, film fans who grew up kind of loving 70s cinema the way that those kind of movie brats grew up loving 40s cinema. Mm-hmm. Where, for example, like Spike Lee casts her uh, in, in the same role as Miriam Douglas as a bank teller uh, in Inside Man in 2006, which kind of like really completes the circle there. Uh, and also just like just what we're talking a little bit about kind of the 70s cinema influence here. I mean, we talked about Marlon Wayans or Wayans kind of being like well, yeah, I, th- I found this very stereotypical. I found, like, the jive talk a little uncomfortable. Aronofsky's kind of talked about how he wanted the movie to seem kind of stylized. And I think that, like, Wyand said that when he talked to Aronofsky, what convinced him to sign on was the idea that it was very stylized, it was very arch, it was very 70s. Like, I don't think they use the word heroin that much in the movie. They talk about skag. You have things like, I think Marion wakes up and says something like, you know, Harold was craving a biscuit <laughs> and stuff like that. So you have this kind of sense of this movie as a throwback, something that's kind of like homaging kind of 70s cinema and again it kind of speaks the way in which like this is a obviously a conversation where like obviously this would inspire a generation of indie filmmakers but it was itself kind of rooted in in the cinema of, of the 70s mm. uh, anyway sorry this has gone on far far too long i apologize sorry to sorry to richard uh sorry to andrew
1: no uh, uh my apologies i was delivering the 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 Black Swan poster. Black Swan I've got lots poster. of good
2: quality content out of that analogy or that anecdote. So, you know, it's, it's worth it in the end.
0: Delivering slash disposing of one of those two things. <laughs> <laughs> offloading, delivering or offloading. Um, but like, it is worth noting just the weird position of this in terms of culture wars, right? Where this is this is a movie and again, this is the gratuitous Robocop reference that I promised early on. We are delivering Can I interject
2: outfit. on the Robocop point okay, and just say it. it's amazing you've not mentioned that Aronofsky was meant to make Robocop at one point. Isn't that
0: surely oh, the more gratuitous right. reference you should bring in there?
1: <laughs> And now
0: all three of us have done it. Thank you. Well <laughs> it, done, Richard. Happy to oblige.
1: Yeah, they were they were going to re- reboot Robocop, and then they ended up not doing it. And never. no, it was it. the remake. Well, was <laughs> you know, supposed no, to. No, do I, it. I know, I they know. Andrew, Andrew's Andrew's in <laughs> no. his
0: own fantasy reality. No, <laughs> Sorry.
1: You know what? I I should actually watch it there. No, no, you should. It's it, it, it's supposed to be rubbish. Yes, and um, the remake with your yeah. what's his face? It's all right. But like Joel Kinnaman,
0: is... um, Michael yes, Keaton's in there, Samuel Jackson's in there, Gary Oldman's in there. Mm-hmm. Um, is They're... it? Is it a? Is it a? What's her name? The one who ends up married to Woody Harrelson in Three um, Billboards, Abbey something Cornish.
3: Is
0: it? Is it Ooh,
2: is she the wife? That she the wife sounds right, but I wouldn't wife? want to confirm it. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. think you might be right. Sorry.
3: Sorry. I mean, did did
1: they, in fairness, there are people for whom um, uh, RoboCop Two and RoboCop Three don't exist. Um, Robocop um, 2 was great yeah I kind of like it I do it's got
0: nuke sorry go on yes. to, to build sorry. to that gratuitous Robocop reference um, <laughs> this was a movie that received an NC-17 from the MPAA and Aronofsky fought that very vigorously. He submitted again without making any changes and he gave a letter and his argument was very similar to the argument we had earlier on, which is like, this is a movie for teenagers. This is a movie that like teenagers should see. If it's gonna, like if it has an audience that it's gonna make an impact on, it needs to be like young teenagers Mm -hmm. who will be scarred for life by it. (laughs) And the NPA is like, Oh, we we understand and we respect that, but also no, we don't never. want to
2: scar them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah,
0: never, never going to do that because theaters and parents will be outraged. In particular, again, well, it's worth.
1: Th- I, I I don't think it works personally as an anti-drugs oh, interesting. Okay. Uh, movie because i, I because you I, think ass to ass is like a, a happy ending. <laughs> no uh well sorry I, I don't think it works entirely because i i i i made reference earlier on to the kind of like the the um there there there's a good expression for it and i think i'm forgetting what it is but it's that description of these kind of um just saying these no. deaths of despair and that if 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 you, if you want to throw your life away, like drugs are a pretty good way of doing it. So I, 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 I think, um, there, 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 there's plenty of people who kind of like watch this and then they get to a kind of like a dark place and that like kind of drugs are the answer. And, it, and, it, and it, and if that ends with them, um, ending, then, then that's okay. Like that, that, that that's, that there, 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 there's a kind of like a, 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 a pointlessness that, that this is kind of a, um, a, a a response to and that, that, that seems like the, the, the answer to kind of, um, like a lot of communities, I guess, who, who've, um, were suffering from, um, the, uh, heroin uh, 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 crack the hiv um and then the 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 opioid epidemic is that like the the communities aren't going anywhere yeah your life isn't going anywhere yeah um and it's like um uh, don't throw your life away on drugs and it's like why not you know What what, what is the alternative? Yeah, where where it's a it's it's an act of despair, and and that and that this movie isn't going to kind of persuade uh, those people, um, I guess. Yeah, but I think it may it it shines a light on. I think it may
0: persuade the people who are like,
1: no, drugs seem fun.
0: Uh, kind of I don't know
1: I would agree with I would agree with that yeah. like par-
0: part of me is also like I'm an old man shaking my fist at the sky I don't know what the kids like I don't know if the kids will respond or they'll just be like suck it dad um... <laughs> well as
2: someone who is a, a... It was a young 16 year old middle class boy when i saw this i can confirm it definitely did scar me and put me off going anywhere near anything for a, for while, a yes. long time so <laughs>
0: yeah, for, yeah. the scarring
2: was successful i think amongst a certain demographic
0: yeah, and to be to be clear i think on this podcast darren was never a risk for that um uh, <laughs> no,
1: no i don't think so this
0: this may be why darren likes this movie a bit more than train spotting it's the same reason that darren likes cool hand luke a bit more than like the shawshank redemption where it's like the shawshank redemption is good but it's too happy and upbeat it needs something downbeat and depressing it's like darren's like like, no, make the drug movie more dark and bleak and oppressing. <laughs> no fun, no fun, but it is it is worth noting. So, yeah, they, they, he submits You'd it. make
1: me not want to have a nervous break, though. <laughs> <laughs> like, I went ahead and did it anyway. Unlike yesterday, <laughs> where you were thinking, hmm, you're really gonna going for those right now yeah. sort of mental spring cleaning. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: Um, but like again so this is an NC-17 movie from the MPAA and again it's worth noting that this is caught in a culture war around things like say the Columbine stuff where you have this huge clampdown on like American cinema is American cinema corrupting the youths as it were and like is cinema to blame for all the ills in our society where you had like the FTC like ruling about like movies being advertised on children's television so movies that were NC-17 or rated being specifically targeted at teenagers you had like executives from these companies being forced us to testify in front of like the senate communications committee and say yeah we we did try and sell eraser to like 12 year old boys and stuff like that um true lies was aimed at 12 year old boys you call us the gigs up. yeah um
1: <laughs> like, obviously yeah um but like but like, I like who yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> who else is watching that movie but like you want
0: andrew you- james cameron fan on the podcast yeah, yeah
1: like you don't when you're 12 you don't want to watch like a, movies for tw- you don't want pg or pg-13 girls. yeah you want something that's like harder edged yeah mm-hmm. but 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 those schwarzenegger movies like where it is just like you know um uh, where like high body count movies they're not movies for grown-ups <laughs> you know <laughs> and I, I I enjoy kind of like um, Commando and I guess Raw Deal and like um, True and, Lies yeah True Lies I love do you true actually lies. love hold on I, I do hate I do Cameron. Okay. Okay. Uh, I do hate Cameron um, but I I believe I enjoy True Lies I don't think Cameron is good okay
3: uh, <laughs> okay so, but sorry the-
1: hate's probably a strong word I beg your pardon <laughs>
0: Andrew standing in a lift with James Cameron saying, "I don't think of you at all." Um, <laughs> but the point I was going to make that the end of this anecdote is the idea that you have.
1: I don't think he ought to care what I think. <laughs> by the way. Like he he he's brought so much joy to people's lives. I what have I done? <laughs> <laughs> Andrew is bracing
0: himself for having to cover Avatar 2. This is where Andrew like Andrew's like for the next one. People,
1: people wanted to live in that world and, and uh, well, we're going to
0: talk about it. It yeah, was a cultural and, phenomenon and despite did, the fact the internet thinks it's funny that it was a cultural phenomenon and
1: didn't didn't want to kind of like people yeah. learned the Navi language, yeah, exactly. they learned how to navigate all that grammar. <sighs> yeah I mean it's fine that we're learning Klingon
3: <laughs> like like that has cool some kids. prestige to it yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I mean like you haven't it's read different. Shakespeare until you've it's read very, it in the original Klingon <laughs> yeah. uh, but anyway my, <laughs> the point that I was going to make was that Aronofsky does two things off the back of this the first of which is he insists that artisanal entertainment by the way uh, props to Andrew for all the ass to ass jokes never making an artisanal oh. joke Um, I had that in my notes, like Andrew Bingo, um, but I guess it falls to me. But they basically agreed to release it in cinemas unrated, which was striking as well. Theaters, less than impressed by this. Mm -hmm. Um, Theaters had to put warnings out front saying that you should be aware this is an NC-17 movie, even though it's not an NC-17 movie. And, as I promised, gratuitous Robocop reference. This is really the first NC-17 movie we've had to deal with since Showgirls said the senior vice president of Lowe's Theatres. Showgirls, directed by Paul Verhoeven, director of RoboCop. Oh,
1: whoops. Oh, okay,
0: oops, sorry. Alright, we, sh- we definitely need to wrap up. Um, <laughs> Alright then! Uh, is there anything else you want to say about this, Richard? Anything else about the movie? Anything jumping out at you?
3: Uh,
2: no, I'm sure if I was bothered enough to go back to my pages and pages of notes, I'd find something, but I think we have probably withered on long enough for the poor listenership public.
0: And for Patrina, we have just <laughs> <laughs> yeah, All, right. <laughs> All right then. So we normally do at the end of podcast if we ask our guests to recommend something to listeners, it could be something related to the movie, something unrelated to the movie, just something that brings you. Oh. I, I don't know if joy is the right word for the conversation <laughs> that we've had, but something that you, you you watched, think, thought about, consumed in recent uh, recent times. So to give Richard a chance to think about it, I'm going to ask Andrew to go first.
1: Um, well, we we mentioned uh, the Kronos Quartet. Some people. Or a glass half full. Some people are a glass nice. half empty. I'm just a glass person. Um, I, I, I think I, whatever
0: I, happens, you have to fill up the glass.
1: <laughs> exactly. Very good, Darren. Um, mm-hmm. they, um, I'm still sharp. C I, sharp. <laughs> I love um, uh, uh, Mishima, which, which is another uh, movie soundtrack, which is Chronos Quartet, uh, which is a Philip Glass uh, movie. I like the movie. Um, i think i I, I, think I like i
0: like that we have to qualify that when we're talking about movies that like, in association <laughs> working for the dream i actually like that movie
1: yeah i don't know I I, I I i i like Mishima. but the the, the, the uh, I think it was it was the um uh it was the soundtrack that brought me to us um i'll in 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 terms of um kind of heroin and and opioids and um... my local friend uh, <laughs> at the corner <laughs>
0: angel who never appears on screen and is responsible for so much of the carnage they... by the way he buys them a car that they can use to drive to florida does that make him an angel investor mm. sorry Andrew mm. so uh,
1: <laughs> uh patrick raden um empire of pain um i thought was very good it doesn't it, it, it it's It's interesting. It doesn't kind of focus so much on the kind of um, the communities or those kind of harmed by it. It it's it's very focused on the Sackler kind of dynasty, with which which the Sacklers went to such great efforts to kind of, I suppose, launder their reputation through kind of. It. I would say that. It was a genuine um, love of um, of art for kind of Arthur Sackler, that it was, it was his it was great, his great abiding passion. But it's why why there were so many kind of um, Arthur Sackler or um, Sackler um, wings of um, kind of museums of antiquity and of the Louvre and um, uh, universities and all of that sort of thing. But they they were the empire behind um, Purdue uh, pharma uh, uh, which uh, created MS contin and oxycontin different. um i will i will say a, a, a couple of things um there there are plenty of other companies that 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 make um opioids, uh, opioids. um some are uh, responsible but I've I haven't heard of any. You know, that 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 that, that, state that we have. Sorry, so <laughs> the, the, um as in as in like um I think everybody knows about Purdue Pharma, but there they there, there um there have been huge fines kind of level le- uh leveled against the other um uh, pharmaceutical uh, companies involved in this who haven't gone out of business. Um and who've been described by some as the the, the 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 real kind of kingpins, that it might have been the Sacklers who kind of started it and um, I suppose innovated a lot of um, um, what happened. But just because Purdue Pharma have had their kind of comeuppance doesn't mean that it's something that's gone away. It's like when McDonald's are the kind of lightning rod for a kind of criticism of... Or, of, or Marvel of, in terms of, of film food. entertainment. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. That, like yeah, yeah, that everyone else gets to kind of do what they want. Or you close know?
0: under the idea that, yeah, because they're not the biggest.
1: Because they're not uh, McDonald's, I guess. Um, uh, so I'd recommend that. It's quite good. Black Swan made me think of uh, Nassim Nicholas Taleb, who's a kind of abrasive writer, but he, he's quite good... I, 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 w- I was listening to, I think, Russ Roberts, who's an economist, has a book out, and he, he spoke about how much he enjoyed um, Nassim Nicholas Taleb, and he said, like, people say all of the stuff in the book is, pe- is things that people already know, but that he only really knew it in his bones, like having read uh, the, the Incherto series, which is like Black Swan, uh, Fooled by Randomness, and I think Skin in the Game. Um, and they, 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 it kind of, it, 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 it. it he, he thinks it, it. They, his kind of understanding of statistics became kind of helpful for a lot of people. I think in understanding COVID as well, and in kind of um, anticipating um, the kind of devastation that something like a COVID um, uh, could cause. That people weren't really factoring into their kind of thoughts about the future. Uh, these black swan events. Um, and another thing, I, I guess spaced um, the TV <laughs> show. It's, a, the it's, on, it's on. It's on Netflix. the hip hop montage.
0: Yeah. I uh, yeah. And we did very briefly talk about music there, uh, and I will very quickly wrap up here. But it is worth noting we haven't talked. You're going to rap, Clint, Clint Marcel. <laughs> uh, I'm going to rap. Yes, that's a. Uh, apparently, Aronofsky originally wanted a hip hop soundtrack to this movie. Uh, and mm. Mansell, who, oh, no. yeah, I know, if you want something that is even more 2000s, yeah, but apparently, like, been... mm. apparently Mansell was like, I can't do it, was on the verge of quitting until Aronofsky flew to New Orleans and they played the Lux Areola kind of like the, the iconic looks Lux theme. Areola? <laughs> 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 Ariola's what? What is the looks? They played the looks. I always say Eterna,
2: but Actually, no, I do not pronounced it. I, okay. It's a u t something or other. So I, I, yeah, see,
0: Darren, don't pronounce words good. Um, but like they played that over the scene in which like Marion has kind of just slept with her therapist by the way her therapist played by Sean Gillette who is the star of Pi Mm -hmm. which is great what a great way to reward your star of like your breakout indie movie it's like by the way you're going to play a sex offender therapist Uh, we want you to be bold and as unappealing as possible (laughs) but they played it over that sequence after she leaves the apartment and vomits and they're like no this is this is Mm. what the movie sounds like
1: and that's the problem as well with like Keith David coming along later (laughs) (laughs) it's it's, It's like he's an upgrade from like the therapist exactly should have had that end with the therapist <laughs>
0: <laughs> like it feels like yeah having Sean Gillette play the pimp in the closing scene would <laughs> communicate it <laughs> much <laughs> like with the close-up on his mouth as well the ominous kind of close-up on his mouth and the smiling and stuff like that to make it It at least
2: dispel the racial overtones
0: it may have (laughs) yeah plus you know if you swapped out sean gillette and keith david that means that you give keith david the dinner scene earlier on which he could really make a meal of Mm -hmm. Uh, and very quickly just one small thing that i really admired i noticed this time is that actually during the introductory scene with harry and sarah if you listen to the soundtrack, you can actually hear the Kronos Quartet kind of tuning their instruments. It's like they're preparing to play a symphony. It's like being at a kind of a concert hall, seeing an orchestra play. I thought that was very clever. Anyway, we need to wrap up. So, Richard, what would you recommend? Um, okay, I'll do, I'll do
2: qu- three quick things. Uh, one, in the vein of both Black Swan and just the overall overwroughtness of this film. I recently, wa- recently watched a film I'd say most people probably seen but I had not seen before, uh, Possession. 1981 and it was just incredible I just, everyone tells you how over the top it is and how deranged it is and like it is a horror film but also just the sheer Insanity of the main two leads in the first half an hour. Like, I've never seen two people in a dissolution, like a dissolving marriage, just be screaming at each other and just throwing entire cafes at each other. And it's just truly quite a movie. Recommend Like they're
0: throwing Jared Leto around the room in an audition. We can only dream. <laughs> <laughs> we can
2: only all hope to do so one day. Um, second thing, given that Mark Mogolis is in this, uh, if you've not seen Breaking... Or Better Call Saul, watch Better Call Saul. I know yeah. I'm preaching to the choir with Darren present, but... Uh, if you don't believe the hype, again, believe the hype in that show. It is one of the best things I think anyone's made in the last decade. Not even just television. It's just ugh. look for Darren's very long thread on it. That's a quite a good introduction, I think, to why it's good.
1: You do very long threads, Darren. <laughs> I know it's so out of
0: character. for He
2: broke habit for
0: this. Yeah, this is a unique. <laughs> <point>. <laughs>
1: like,
0: I mean, normally I just like post a quick joke and get out. Like that's that's my that's my M O <laughs> on Twitter sometimes but like Better Call Saul was just I like have to like that's how I got it. that's how I got the escapist job was somebody noticed one of my uncomfortably long friends
2: I mean it had to work eventually <laughs> yeah,
1: that's, I was just pitching do you want into to the pretend the... like you're extemporising this sorry sorry oh yeah the final
2: the final thing um, is in the vein of young people having fun doing drugs there's a very good recent novel called Boy Parts by Eliza Clark believe the is called and it's it's not really a spiritual successor to this but it's also sort of a very fun but also quite grim uh very subjectively viewpointed quite like this and very people in their own heads and their own delusions and it's it's good fun it's good fun the protagonist is truly horrendous but very funny and yeah drugs are bad etc and so forth
0: um, in terms of recommendations uh, from myself, because I watched all seven Darren Aronofsky films in the space of five days. <laughs> do you
1: like that it's Darren, by the way? I,
0: I do feel like he's representing Darren like, Aron, Darren Aron. I know that I actually love that, like the the, the rhythm of the name. I have like, Darren Aron to say The rhythm of the
1: name, Darren Aron. <laughs> it is the rhythm Stop. of the name. Oh Jeez.
2: yeah. Uh huh.
3: The rhythm. I the we ass to ass in there somewhere. <laughs>
0: Um, By the way, there are techno remixes of this you can find online that do feature all of the lines that you would expect to be sampled. Uh, Darren Aronofsky did get his hip hop score eventually. Um, But what I I would recommend, um, not watching all seven of them in the space of five days. I found hyper compressing them did make me think that like people were a mistake um that like (laughs) mankind maybe didn't deserve to live um particularly watching (laughs) noah and like mother back to back it's like yeah maybe Mm. maybe humankind is overrated um but i did actually i found myself really enjoying and engaging with quite a few of them uh black swan uh still my favorite it's it's a wonderful genre exercise fantastic performances very heightened more than a little camp i want to hope that it's Mm self-aware of how camp it is uh but i i adore it i had not
1: like (laughs) <laughs> right oh no, sorry he's uh, he's an older guy i guess yeah yeah Yeah. well i
0: mean the, well aron again aronofsky this image of him laughing like with christopher mcdonald like laughing at the edge of the screen doing the tabby Timmins stuff i'd like to think there's some sense of self-awareness there um and also being horrified by jared leto like it's great the vulture oral history is great where it's like you know jared's like i got the vibe from aronofsky like he didn't think i was a serious actor, so i had to prove myself now Aronofsky's like actually i was just worried about him um <laughs> That was the vibe I was sending. Um, But yeah, so I would recommend, in particular, Black Swan. Um, We talked about this one. Noah. I actually really like Noah because it's like, what if you gave a Star Wars movie to Darren Aronofsky? Where it's like, what if, like, Star Wars, but also the Bible? Where, like, it has this incredibly complicated world building that goes on within it, where they're, like, mining for, like material that they can use to randomly start fires and there are rock monsters that are also angels fallen from heaven and none of this is actually from the Bible in any way shape or form and it's also entirely <laughs> possible that this movie is a post-apocalyptic futuristic movie in the style of something like the Canticle for Le- Leibowitz um, but which I absolutely adored and loved. I really like The Fountain. Again I mentioned Emo Cloud Atlas. Darren loves Cloud Atlas so of course Darren <laughs> loves Emo Cloud Atlas. Um, and again the fact that that movie was willed into existence, the fact that it was cancelled and like through sheer force of will he managed to get it made but like the special effects where he's doing things like he's using oil paintings instead of CGI yes. which just gives it this wonderful bespoke kind of feeling that you don't really have in any comparable movie uh, also the score for that from Mansell is amazing and what well we're very good. it yeah. um, and what well we're playing on its own Do
2: you think that The Fountain as is is the, and this is one of those stupid questions to ask is the superior version or if the version with Brad Pitt and was a Kate Blanchett yeah. would have been better yeah. I actually think the casting as is is better than Brad Pitt and T. Blanchett would necessarily have been. The
0: alternative is something like the curious case of Benjamin Button. Like that that's like mm. that's what that's what the Aronofsky gets his budget looks I, like.
1: I think Rachel Weiss is fantastic. I'm a bit She's I'm a right, bit of a yeah. Hugh Jackman skeptic. Okay. Um, like I, I like the person, Hugh Jackman. <laughs> I'm 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 just not like um, sold on him as an actor. I yeah. I, I, I I like they're they like I I I thought I thought Logan was fantastic. Um and I I
0: I, I yeah sorry I anyway. <laughs> I love that I just going to stop short of praising the prestige um I, <laughs> I the would, thing yeah, about yeah. Hugh Jackman that I like is that he's like the good Jared Leto where Leto is constantly like trying to prove himself and trying to prove himself in all of the worst ways but it's like Mm. you look at like jackman when he lands a role like the fountain or he lands a role like the prestige which is outside of his wheelhouse in which he operates but he goes like whole hog unreservedly kind of like uncompromisingly i know that this is probably going to be goofy or mimetic i have no shame or embarrassment about performing this and like just committing to it like again i i really like that about the fountain how earnest that feels like I I Mm. like Jackman's performance in it because it feels like it's an actor who's like, am I going to be Wolverine forever? I was in Oklahoma. I was then in X-Men. None of my projects outside of X-Men have gained any traction whatsoever. Uh, This movie that I'm in has been cancelled like twice and has had its budget halved while I've been working on it. Nobody's going to see this. And there's a real kind of that energy to the movie that's kind of interesting. And again, Mm. the Rachel Weisz stuff is interesting because Aronofsky was like engaged to her at the time. Um, so you have a bit of a Jennifer Lawrence type situation happening there as well, where she is married to an obsessive genius. Know that yep, she's married to an obsessive genius who is hmm. trying to resurrect a project that just won't get off the ground. And it's like, OK, OK, Darren, um, I don't like psychoanalyzing you based on your films, but maybe just take a step back. Um, but also, yeah, so those and Pie. I think Pie is fantastic as well. All right, then. So, Richard, where can we find you? Watch out. Watch up to where are you are uh that was on just twitter, a random just... bunch of words sorry
2: yeah, well no the, that is the modern life um yeah mostly on twitter at frontastic i just retweet other people's better opinions i don't tweet my own very often because i don't trust myself uh <laughs> sometimes you'll see me on head stuff sometimes Phil Marland, but rarely these days because i have a boring office job and just don't write very much often anymore but now and again stuff like this happens so if you care that's probably where you'd see it from me
0: and you know what's going to happen well in two weeks time you're going to be rejoining us to talk about speed to cruise control do you know
2: what that... the idea of rewatching seven aronofsky films for this didn't seem like that much homework the thought of having to watch two speed films feels like a significantly more insurmountable task <laughs> and i don't know why
0: and one of those speed movies is good to be clear uh, yes <laughs> <laughs> um but Not yes. the one we're
2: talking about though i don't <laughs> no, think no, maybe
0: to be clear you brought this on yourself this is like when you ended up talking about like Mac and me and like Mortal Kombat (laughs) Annihilation this is all you're doing Richard
2: well unlike those who actually have seen cruise control before so this is even a stupider idea but uh (laughs) yes
0: so that will be in two weeks next week myself and Andrew I will hopefully manage to convince him to talk about Star Trek II: The Wrath of Khan to mark it's 40th anniversary re-release um also because we we need to get some episodes in the can to build up some space um all right then definitely
1: do that (laughs) (laughs) all right then you can follow... have to convince andrew to watch a, a star trek movie fair enough it's not one that i particularly like yes it's, it's a very
0: sweaty star trek movie i think it's <laughs> like that's andrew's like one note it's like when you when you describe a movie it somehow gets stuck in my brains so, like cider house rules will always be the folksy abortion movie because that's how andrew described it one time mm-hmm. star trek to the wrath of khan will always be the sweaty star trek movie so that, and not not like metaphorically sweaty not like uh, straining no. but like Basically
1: you're oiled
0: up. <laughs> oiled up. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of baby oil. Alright, so we'll be back next week. Take care. Bye. Bye. Thanks sorry, so much. Sorry about the delay, Richard. Sorry about the no, long now. Before... I kinda
2: knew it would go long. It always does. That's fine.
0: And it's fine.